people of Earth, if you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animated chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the letter F in your dictionary and add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, baby. Ho, 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 fanboys! It's the Fanboy Planet Christmas cast, and here's your host, Santa Claus! Santa. I have indeed uh, played Santa when he could not actually be there uh, for a party or two. And, and I you look, have to do it every year now? It's I know. Like, it's the I curse. Well, when, you act, when you make eye contact with the reindeer, they, uh-huh. you know, they didn't cover that in the Santa Claus. It's, you know, it's, it's you, you. Big doughy eyes. You have to be. Uh, now, I look forward to that in my dotage, that I will probably be a pretty good Santa in my day. Uh, this is Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of FanboyPlanet.com. We are podcasting, actually, on December 23rd. It's a Tuesday night. We figured it's no offense Christmas to... Christmas Eve Eve. Yeah. <laughs> it's no offense to any of our listeners, but All we, about Eve. But we didn't want to uh, violate the sanctity of our own family's Christmases to get together and talk uh, about geek stuff and that's why we still have families well some of you do <laughs> so anyway uh of course our man in los angeles i'm nate costa and across from me hosting literally at the brett cave in an undisclosed lo- location where we're ser- serving tonight fantastic hot buttered rums mine's gone uh, so is mine. I'm done. That was delicious. I'm Rick Brett Snyder. <laughs> there we go. Podcast producer and occasional moral compass. But it's Christmas. We don't need morals where we're going. I'm the bartender tonight. I know. And you're good. I, yeah, it was good. All right. So we've got some comics news. We've got some movie news. It's It's been a week of some interesting things in movies. Um, you know, especially if you were, say, Sony. Uh, some TV news. I actually have a little radio news tonight. And uh, a little bit of game stuff, uh, and Rick will tell us about that when we get there. So let's start off with comics, um, which is, uh, Rick put an item down on our itinerary, uh, which we had talked a few weeks ago, and I think we'd even reviewed when the first issue of this legendary D-E-R-R-Y line uh, came out from Dynamite back in July or August I think those first issue of the miniseries maybe even I've been buying for Debbie I had not realized is Bill Willingham part of the whole thing or just this new expansion he he wrote the original miniseries for Legendary okay I don't know that he's working on it I don't think he's working on any expansions but they are expanding there it is Legendary for those who had not picked up the book was a steampunk reimagining of well I guess we'd call them their their flagship licensed characters because Mm -hmm. you have Certainly things like Green Hornet, which they've done a lot with. Um, Lone Ranger's not in there, is he? No. Yeah, but, I think he is. Okay, I only read the first issue. Vampirella, um, Red Sonja, which actually makes sense because Red Sonja in Marvel Comics was a spinoff of actually a Cossack character that Robert E. Howard wrote mm-hmm. uh, that was set in like 14th century Russia or something like that, was not part of the Hyborian Age. So she really is a character that can transcend... Uh, time and space. She's a time lord. Um, 
a busty red-headed wow. time lord <laughs> uh time lady if you will and uh so they so they've got this uh, spin-offs they're doing a solo book of vampirella they're doing a solo book of red sonia they're doing a solo book of green hornet of the legendary the legendary version although they all have um solo books in the regular yes because you know the DC Some universe have many DC so universe and the Bat family have nothing on the spin-offs that Dynamite has been able to yeah. do with all of their uh, licensed titles. It, we do have of note that actually we do know uh, someone David Avalone is writing uh, the Vampirella Legendary. Uh, if that name is familiar, to you, oh, I've run some of his uh, short films on Fanboy Planet. In the, in the past, he's a very talented filmmaker and now writing, and he has uh, pulp writing in his blood because his father was Michael Avalone, who wrote the Man from Uncle novels in the 60s and uh, the Partridge Family novels in the early I have a 70s. couple of the Man from Uncle ones. I don't have any of the Partridge Family ones. Oh, no, the Partridge Family solved crimes and murders. Did and they stuff. now? Yeah, it, it, it's... Uh, and that's okay, man. It, it, apparently, they said it paid for their summer trip to Europe or something like that. You know, Great. It, it was... Uh, Good times, good the times. The Avalons or the Partridges? The Avalons. Uh, the Partridges had their own. That was a tour. They, okay. You know, Ruben Kincaid paid for that. And um, anyway, <laughs> <coughs> but he also has, uh, he done a lot of pulp spy novels of his own, his own character and so forth. So David's, uh, you know, following in his dad's footsteps and has been kind of a caretaker of this uh, pulp writer's legacy as well. He's been bringing like radio dramas of, uh, his father did a series of, of short stories that were kind of that Boris Karloff had endorsed at one point. So um, I'm, 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 I am sorry because I, this showed up on the on the list, and I was like, I should have gone back to research what the name of uh, of the like Tales of the Frightened or something like that. It was, we'll cover it again soon, Bo. Right, I would like to see if we can get David on. So we'll be uh, talking about that because not only that. Um, they're also doing sort of Elseworlds with their titles. Uh, it's not called Elseworlds, but they're going to have these setting them in different spaces. A Vampirella story, uh, not by David, in which uh, it's Vampirella is a lone human on a planet of vampires. Uh, there's going to be a Doc Savage that David is writing, which is uh, about uh, what if Doc Savage was actually becoming Savage. Uh, and I can't remember the I think it's a green, it might be a Green Hornet one. But we'll see. I mean, they're doing interesting Dynamite's doing interesting work with this stuff. Again, I unfortunately last week can't got to the store too late to pick up Django Zorro oh. number two. So mm. I'm hoping Wait. it's going to be reordered. So when is when did that come out? It came out last week. What? At least at Elusive Comics and Games, there was that little placard that says Django <sighs> Zorro two is sold out, and I went no because oh. it didn't get there till Saturday night. So um, I added that to my poll. Yet, uh, no sign of it. I'm well, sorry. you should go down when you go to buy, to buy your comics tomorrow. You should just wish them a merry Christmas. Don't yeah, make you really should. Don't, 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 don't make a scene. Um, I've I've seen Chris Kohler there, <laughs> and yeah. he's bigger than than you, Nate. So you know it's uh, and the rest is even nice. And Chris is nice too. I'm just kidding. Uh, but anyway, um, also uh, we got a little thing from Marvel. Uh, two things. We I ran a piece last week about. Star Wars, you know, and there was a little controversy on my web on my Facebook page between Cardi Angelo and uh, Rick Schneider, who did not feel that uh, the recoloring job that Marvel is promising in May of Star Wars: A New Hope, the original six issue, uh, it wasn't a miniseries, kids. 
in in 1977, there comics just, I think maybe DC had for, done the first, like, untold stories of Krypton or Secrets of the Batcave or something. They had... They Didn't they with do the those form. like just in the back of backs of the books? <coughs> no, there was a three issue. There, there was a three okay. issue miniseries, and they and they called the miniseries. It was like they were experimenting, with it. but they were definitely the kinds of stories that exactly they were sort of like. Well, we have a lot of backup stories banked. Yeah, and let's put it together. These into are one edition long, books for some secrets, artists and yeah. and they pairing. weren't and they weren't books that people were like. I think I would say the first miniseries that really like made people go crazy was that Frank Miller, Chris Claremont. Wolverine. Yeah, the one that was. Yeah, the one that was that before was basically they went into the, the movie, the Wolverine, with the yeah. sweet cover. Yes, the yeah. one that has been mocked over and over and over again. Um, uh, no, not mocked, homaged. Yes. The point is, when Star Wars was launched, and this would happen with Marvel books, especially they did a lot of film adaptations. Like I can remember the Logan's Run one, where they tried. Mm-hmm. There were seven issues. It took them six issues to adapt the movie, and then there was a seventh issue where they like tried to take the world beyond what happened after that, and then there were none. <laughs> I thought so, they actually went on for quite a while no, after they that. They only went on for for one. Uh, so there were seven issues hmm. of the Marvel Logan's run. There have been other publishers that have picked up and told, and I think even adapted Logan's World and Logan's Quest, Logan's Search, Search. So uh, it might have been Caliber or somebody, uh, kind of one of those early 90s, late, late 80s, early 90s yeah. companies that don't exist anymore that were doing a lot of a lot of licensing. Um, but anyway, Star Wars did these six issues. They're notable because it was really the first, should we call it in the mainstream, and probably not even intentional, um, splash uh, impression, even though he had been working for a couple of years, of Howard Chaikin. And... When I interviewed Howard, like you know, seven or eight years ago already, one of the things that struck me is, you know, he's not actually a fan of Star Wars. He drew those books having no idea what they were gonna, what impact they would have. Which who could have really, you know, three months before the movie opened. Um, but so, obviously, three months before the movie, he wasn't a fan. But he's not a fan now. You know? No, he's not. He thinks that Star Wars actually kind of infantilized our culture. Hmm. And I don't think he's necessarily wrong because you know when you got it's a it's a valid opinion. It's it, not, it's yeah, not it's a bite, backbiting opinion. No, right? it's not. He said he he was drawing a comic book, and then what happened was that he says one. He said he was too old. Uh, he has said that is like you know that when he was drawing it, it was a job, and he was happy to have the work. Mm-hmm. But he was trying to work towards his things like what he would later do, like American Flag and so forth, and get his vision out there. Um, but. You know, it, the thing is that the people like our own um, love him or hate him, our president of the United States right now, Barack Obama, is that sweet spot of he was ten or eleven years old when Star Wars came out, right? And you know, the, it changed. You know, Chicken's point is it really did change things. It's like you know, again, it changed the way movies were made, changed the way movies were marketed, but also, Toys. but but also in our actual, in his mind, simplified our culture. That when Ronald Reagan does the satellite defense and calls it Star, Star Wars, Wars, there's no accident, you know, and, and it's that kind of thing. Even though I've read a couple of interesting articles about the political uh, intrigue or, or the political pot shots that George Lucas was really taking about what was going on in the world when he was writing them, and it's like, wow, if you read it from this angle, that almost makes it sound like they're well done. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I, re- I read a, a stirring sociopolitical defense of the Phantom Menace about what was going on wow. at the really at the beginning of, of when that was made. I'm like, 
No, that wasn't there. Um, but maybe it was. Hmm? Hmm. But anyway, those original six issues, uh, Howard Chicken was a little rushed. It, it, if you look at it, it's not... You can see traces of the style that he is known for, but it's not particularly obviously... Uh, and he was also inked by Klaus Janssen, who is, I think, a, a right. very bold inker who simplifies yes. art. Um, That's uh, John Romita Jr.'s inker, right? I, I think Klaus Janssen has, has, works with John, John Romita I, Jr. I, I, as well. I've never thought of him as simplifying it. I, I think he, he has a, a line style. It's, his line style is pretty dynamic. I, I, d- I don't think he goes for a lot of detail. And no, he doesn't. And so I call it simplifying because he's one of those inkers. And there, there are some inkers that are very seamlessly bring out the best of the penciler. Yeah. When Klaus Jan- and 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 they're almost invisible, but you know that somehow the work is better than it was. Klaus Jansen, when Klaus Jansen inks, and he inked a lot of Frank Miller's Daredevil. Yeah, too. that's what I was just going to go to. <clears throat> and I think he, I think he inked the Dark Knight Returns as well, mm. and I think that. Combined with Frank Miller, it was a very good combination very because their styles because were very complementary. Yeah. But I don't think that he was necessarily a great complement to. Uh, when you look at Chaykin, he does Chaykin. a lot of cross hatching. He does a lot but of he didn't, zip tone stuff. Yeah, he but he didn't, didn't in Star, Star Wars. Wars, right? And so, anyway, Marvel's gathering these for a graphic for a graphic hardcover deluxe edition. And my joke was, it's like the fourth time I bought it because um, I bought all original six issues. I bought the, the Marvel Super Special that exactly was a reprint of it. it. Yeah. And I take it back. One of the times wasn't bought. It was somebody gave it to me and said, well, there's no way that Derek has the comic book adaptation of Star Wars. Oh, my God. <laughs> I already had it three times. you know. Uh, and then it was available in Dark Horse, got the rights to reprint it at one point. Yes. Um, so I can't remember yes. what they called it, Star Wars Classic or something like that. Um, so it's been re- – I didn't have that one, but I had those. And, and what they're doing is recoloring, and now that's the controversy here is I thought – that recoloring could be interesting only because one, it's a top notch colorist right now. And I've become as the older I get, the more I appreciate the dynamics that co- good coloring can bring, but also because I grew up with bad coloring and just quite simply, the possibilities of coloring were not there in 1977. The, the, the printing process that and are, the papers that, that are, are used that are going to be there right now for a, you know, whatever, a $30 hardcover yeah. of those six issues. What I'd really like to see is the four issues afterwards with uh, that was basically the Magnificent Seven uh, with a giant uh, six-foot green rabbit. And one of the alternate covers for issue number one of Star yes. Wars coming is of Jack's trying to get in and the green rabbit going, hey, hey, guys, let me in, let me in. I want to play too. Uh, so I think they have like 50 alternate covers potentially for Star Wars number one, which Good has Lord. which has over a million in in orders right now. Yeah. So Actually, the only, the only problem I had with it, I thought that, it's kind of odd when you say that, and I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I think Chaykin did. It obviously was a work for hire, not a, not from right. his heart thing. But in some of those side by side panels, you could look and you could see, like in the old one, you could you could see Darth Vader's helmets the around the mouth. There's a grid there, and in the reink stuff, it's just dark. Mm. So there was some detail, some texturing that is lost in this new. I also wouldn't say that's necessarily the final either. So I mean, yeah. we we, may, we have to withhold judgment. The Until interesting January. thing we just point out: the second, uh, the Empire Strikes Back was adapted by Roy Tom. Roy Thomas adapted the first one as well, wrote the second one, but Al Williamson did the art on the Empire mm-hmm. Strikes Back adaptation. So what I picked up today was I realizing that that's going to come out in like I think June, but um, Lucas had kept Yoda's appearance secret. 
So in the original actual comic book adaptation of Empire Strikes Back, they didn't draw Yoda correctly. He's similar but blue and more like a like a a, a, a wrinkled elf and thinner mm-hmm. and so forth. So it'd be kind of interesting to see Not if they go with the, if they go with well he's still kind of rip, reptilian, but yeah. it'd be interesting to see if they keep that original just like it'd be interesting to see if in this they didn't say anything about it. Nobody caught it because nobody cared. But in the original Star Wars adaptation, Jabba was wrong too. He was more like a wal- a thin walrus man, because there was a human actor who played him, and they knew that he was going that Lucas was going to do something with Jabba, and then they'd cut it. So, uh, so he looked very different. And they had to. I vaguely recall in the ongoing book, they had to go through all kinds of contortions to explain why the character that had appeared in the first six issues could claim to be Jabba, but wasn't the Jabba the Hutt that very clearly made it by the time of Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Just as in the ongoing, they had had Han pay off his debt, and then they had to set up a new debt <laughs> that explained why the bounty why hunters after were him. after yeah. him. <laughs> Empire Strikes Back. So, you know, now with all that hindsight done, the new ongoing Star Wars will um, still take place after A New Hope, basically the same territory that Dark Horse just covered brilliantly. Uh, well, when they get around to Return of the Jedi, do you think they're going to have the uh, the three ghosts be re, uh, redone to be? Uh, oh, I hope not. Hayden Christensen and yeah. Oh God, I'm just going to say no. You're going to pray no. I mean, it's did they draw them like the actors looked in the in comic? the original? Yes, yeah. in the original. Yeah. yeah, because they didn't know. You know, uh, um, it is interesting because if you want to read. And I think the extras showed up when they found at least part of the Biggs Dark Lighter stuff. But remember that actually when they started adapting the film, the first one, they didn't have the final cut, mm-hmm. as they often don't, because the pre-production yeah. was so great, was you know, lead time was so big. So the entire Biggs Luke encounter on Tatooine is there in the comic book, right? And so I can remember saying that was that was a big, actually a disappointment to me because. In those three months before, I read that first issue over and over and it's over. It's in the paperback novelization, too, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, it yeah. is. And it's in the radio uh, broadcast. Well, because it's actually yeah. very crucial. Yeah. Um, because then it brings, which was is brought up by, in the sixth issue, when we've lost Biggs, it it gives it depth. It yeah, gives you, it, it, you, gives you it a, an attachment to the character. A, you know, but it, it gives meaning. You understand what, what has happened to Luke. Yes. And what is happening to the cost of war. Right. Which at that point, if you've ever heard, I think it's Gary Kurtz has talked about, the original producer has talked about that, that Lucas's original plan was very, very different in that trilogy would have been about the cost of war and how fighting for freedom ruins your lives. More along the lines of what Casablanca, you know, it's like mm-hmm. this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. You don't end up with who you want to be with. And very clearly, not until they saw the reaction of the love triangle in Empire Strikes Back were Luke and Leah supposed to be brother and sister. Right. So that was a Return of the Jedi edition. So you go back and you see this is based on the original script. And with that depth is there, I will argue that the finished product of the comic book is a deeper story than the finished product of the film is. And you can say, argue the novelization, that was Alan Dean Foster, even though George right. Lucas was given the the byline for it. So it'll be interesting to see what they do, and those are products to come up. And I saw again over the weekend that rumor that the original trilogy are going to be released on Blu-ray by Disney, you know, completely unsourced. Um, 
as people are picking up month-old articles going, yes, it's happening, and running around on Facebook again going, it's going to happen, I knew yeah. we were going to get it. <clears throat> and I want to just put that rumor to rest now, not that anybody will listen to me, and that is that Disney does not actually own the release rights to the original trilogy. Really? Because that's still with Fox. Oh. So they could still get, they could still. They could negotiate it, I mean. Yes, but look how long it took for Batman. That's all I'm saying. I'm saying you have to, and, and they might. But and they, they may go, we don't want to be, we don't want to pull a Batman. Let's get this thing out. Oh, yeah, because all businesses have thought <laughs> that. You know, um, you know, we didn't really acknowledge that this is a quick over into television. You know, the, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Glenn A. Larson passed away, uh-huh. the creator of Battlestar Galactica and, and Manimal. Um, and it brought up in my mind how he'd actually done a TV series that was a fantastic adaptation of a comic book. Which was Nightman, was a syndicated series, which also brought back Woman Animal uh, in a guest episode. But uh, <laughs> but um, it was actually a pretty good adaptation of the Malibu comic, and we'll never see that on DVD. We'll never see it on Blu-ray because now Disney owns it, but Disney has to split the profits, and it, and it's they just hate not. That. It's it's not well. You know, I actually think if you go from a strictly business point of view, and by the way, of course it is show business. They didn't say there's. You know, no show family, no show art. It's show business. Um, that the effort they would put into promoting and selling, and having to split the profit, when they have so many other product properties that they can put the effort into promoting and selling and keep all the profit, it's it's simple economics. You know, it's it's business. But it's Hollywood. All you have to do is say, "We didn't make any profit. I'm sorry, you don't get anything." Uh, you may notice that again back to that <coughs> Sony hack. That's gonna be really hard to say from now on because you know, Mike. The more I read that, and I go, I know, I know, it's salacious, and I shouldn't have read any of it. Um, I feel so guilty and dirty. But the more you go, it, it, it's like the more you find out, it's like, oh yeah, Sony should be scared, but every other studio should be scared yeah. because you know the only problem is Sony was stupid about its security. Oh yeah, so you, I'll be right back. Okay, so we can have and this, not for the first time. And we can well, I know, and that's the thing is like when they got hit. This is the fourth time when they've got hit before. You'd think they'd do better, but the thing is now what I'm hearing is like uh, emails are no longer allowed as an inter inter office communication in any studio right now. It's all phone calls, it's it's and faxes. Nothing that can't wow be destroyed. They're pulling they, a Battlestar Galactica. They are um, because they're they're terrified. You know, and, and at some point, I I don't want to defend anybody's reprehensible behavior because I'm going to agree with Shonda Rhimes about calling remarks racially insensitive is uh, is a B. I, I believe you can put S on a sandwich and it's still S. Um, you know, is it's racist, and and it's not racially insensitive. That's a nice politically correct try, way to try to make yourself feel bad about making a racist remark. Um, you know, I, I, we're trying to feel better about it. So I was, I was just racially insensitive, but I understand better now. It's like eh. that was no, I, that statement that I made doesn't reflect the real me. That's the one I'm loving these days. Right. You know, it's like, no, you didn't, you know, you said that what they say is, you know, characters who you are when it's inconvenient. Yes. And, uh, and, 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 and that's that. It, but I also think that that's endemic. That's running through, through Hollywood. So I understand. But the other thing is, you know, we all need to. Not that I'm saying anyone at this table or in Valencia is racist, uh, you know, or or necessarily saying. But but remember, you know, when you're writing something to somebody, uh, you, you got to remember 
would I want that on the front page of an of this quaint little thing that used to be called newspapers? Would kids? I want to be quoted? Would I, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, you know, oh, what I, did I miss? Oh, well, we just we got we got real, man. <laughs> we got real. Uh, mm-hmm. So anyway, um, let's move back to comics a little bit, and I'm sure we'll talk more about Sony. Which Nate missed, but he'll have an opinion. Uh, are you guys going to go see the interview at Camera Three? Is that who ended up with it? I didn't look at the. I, I'm going to video on. When's it going to play? I'm not, nobody knows. Christmas, Christmas Day. Day. Really? You're behind. We're going to get there. Uh, I, I was out shopping today. I had to update your article. I, wow. Your your note. I knew that. I realized you didn't know. So uh, they're yeah. Life moves pretty fast, Mitch. Life moves pretty fast. Nate, let's get to the right okay, point. Okay, Ferris. Let's stay with comics. If you blink, <laughs> you're going to miss it. Yeah, okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and that is that Uncanny Avengers launched again uh, because we were just talking about studio business. As we noted a couple weeks ago, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are no longer mutants. They're going to be inhumans. And so Uncanny Avengers, get they released mm. a, a relaunch of... Uh, an image that had the new costume for Quicksilver saying, what would you do if your entire life had, had been, been a lie? lie? And it's like, yeah, okay, yeah. I'd say, wow, Marvel, way to completely rewrite history. Yes. So uh, that's coming at the end of January, and we and I picked up, uh, I was telling Rick that I read this little thing about, you know, how CM Punk is writing a story for a Spider-Man annual or a Spider-Man collection. And, oh really? He yeah. already did the Thor one. The right? Thor—that was it. He was writing the Thor one, and somebody asked, "Why are you letting somebody like CM Punk write stories for Marvel when a truly good writer like George R. R. Martin is dying to?" And then they released this week, and it was—I uh, think Tom DeFalco basically said, and George R. R. Martin admitted this. Um, so yeah, Mar- Marvel approached him. And he said, oh, I, I would love to write a story, but these are my terms. And they are, you can't undo anything I write. You can never retcon it. You can never say it was only a dream. Whatever I do to continuity has to be permanent and lasting in perpetuity. You cannot undo it. And Marvel would not agree to those terms. Oh, weird. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> He'd still have to go through editorial process to deal with the characters and stuff. I, I don't stuff. think George R. R. Martin would want to go. Again, it, we're back to that idea of why would you want to share that? George R. R. Martin, he's played in the universe. He did wild cards. He's played yeah. with superheroes. Yeah. And he he played very nicely, but that was their own universe. They created yeah. it. They all agreed to it. That guy, look, I've seen him at Comic-Con. I, don't, I, I haven't gone to a panel. I've just been outside on the lawn between the Hilton... And the convention center with the line in the hall H all there and suddenly people going hitting each other going, Look, look Up and in the sky. Seriously, <laughs> on the balcony, George R. R. Martin smoking a cigarette and you'd have thought it was one direction. <laughs> to put it for our youthful listeners to get a concept of a crowd the, reaction. Of the crowd reaction. Not the way he was smoking. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Anyway, um, you're right. Why don't those kids know better than smoking but, those cigarettes? Oh, all five of them. Good heavens. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, I know. He is a rock star in his own own world. And sure. because I'm sure he had a good deal for Great Game of Thrones, he's fine. He doesn't need to well, dabble in anybody else's universe. And he's he's a prose right. writer. He does great plotting, but... It's not necessarily going to be a great comic book writer. I don't know if he ever has written a comic book. Yeah, because I mean, he worked on the tw- he he worked on television. He did uh, the Twilight Zone. He did Revival uh, in the 80s. Beauty and the Beast. Oh yeah, yeah. 
And the, actually, there was a Beauty and the Beast comic, but I don't know if he was involved in it. And I know that when Avatar has done his novels, um, somebody else has adapted them as well. Yeah. He, but again, he doesn't need to. Although and I recommend that Avatar's adaptation of no, the vampire novel was good. But you know, you know, it's kind of like I would, if I could speak to those people, shut up. Let him work on Game of Thrones. <laughs> Let him get that next novel done. Do you understand, people? He's, Papa needs a hit. We've got a race against HBO. Yeah. <laughs> it's because they're well, going to get there right. sooner. And the other thing is, uh, CM Punk is going to draw people to read a comic that normally wouldn't read a comic. Sure, sure. And yeah. Although I'd argue, you know, the members of the WWE, when I started Fanboy Planet, that was the strangest thing to me. When I would first start meeting professional wrestlers, they knew, because it was the Wild West of the of the, the internet world, you know, they knew Fanboy Planet because they read the comics reviews. And then when I'd meet comics professionals, they, they knew, knew Fanboy Fan- Planet because they read Falls Count Anywhere or Chair Shots, Michael Goodson's <laughs> column. That I, so it was, you know... There already is that crossover. That's when Rob Van Dam had opened a comic book shop. I don't know. Five if it's Star Comics. Five Star Comics. not there anymore. Yeah, and he was going to write one that I don't think ever materialized. and uh, But it was drawn by the people who created the Venture Brothers, and I was a fool and didn't realize that. Wow. You know, But it was Venture Brothers hadn't broadcast. No. They just brought it up. No. It's like, we've got this piloted Adult Swim. And I'm like, oh, well, that seems kind of weird. Okay, and then it was, I did not know it was... I was We're gonna, animating in Flash. I, yeah, exactly. I was like, I, and then it was before we knew Gaz, right? And I'm like, I did not realize this would be the greatest show in the history <laughs> exactly. of television. Um, so let's play uh, our little segment, What's in the Bag? What's in my sack? Santa's sack! Ho, ho, ho! Can we keep that one? I kind of like that. I, like I don't the, know how well it's going to play around April. I, well, that'll be the rabbits. What's in my butt? Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, basket. Uh, yeah, this is actually a, re- a retro. What's in the bag? Because we didn't. We just ran the Mike Richardson interview last week's podcast, so we didn't really talk about last week's. And tomorrow is when the new books come out, so we can actually talk about books we may have actually had time to read. So. Or give me a second because I don't have them here. I'm going to go. Oh, I'll be right back. I'll start oh, yeah, with Nate. I totally then. forgot we didn't podcast last week. Yeah. Let's reach back and get the books from last week. One, two, three. I only have two, so we can stick to two because I want to run too late. I still got to do Christmas shopping tonight. Uh, oh, God. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, what's in your bag? What, you know, what's number one in your bag, Nate? Your sack. Item number one from the comic sack this week is Miles Morales, the Ultimate Spider-Man number eight. Mm. This was a flashback story. Okay. Uh, Have you been reading this at all, Derek? I'm planning to read the trade paperbacks, so go ahead. Okay. Uh, The... So basically, Miles, a few issues back, this is a spoiler, Mm -hmm, I'll mm -hmm. ruin this for you, uh, told his dad that he was Spider-Man. Oh, okay. And it actually might have been issue one or the end of the previous series. I don't remember. Okay, anyway. Whatever the case was, he told his dad, and ever since then, like his dad just ran away, and he hasn't seen his dad since. He'll go back to the apartment. His dad's nowhere to be found. As all good superheroes, fathers will do. Exactly. If you can't kill him, have him run him out. Have him run out. Of him. So this issue abandonment is a causes heroism. 
of uh, stuff that happened to his dad, which uh, may provide some insight as to why his dad was so freaked out. Uh, okay, okay. Excellent. Sorry, which book was that? This is Ultimate Spider-Man, Miles Morales, uh, Ultimate uh, Spider-Man number eight. Good. And uh, I think we're going to maybe hold down to two so we don't go too late tonight. Sure. But uh, what's in your bag, Rick? So uh, since we're going to do two, I'm going to start with uh, the... I'm making him make hard choices. The last issue of Starlight, which I believe is issue number six. Which I totally missed last week. And uh, Those jerks. I loved it. This whole series was just a pleasure to read. I think it's a great, it's a great miniseries. Wonderful. And it capped nicely. It capped nicely on all ends of. That the, was the one where the guy gets called back to a planet that yep. he'd been to when he's like fifty, sixty yeah. years old. Yeah, he's too old now. Yeah, well, yeah. But the question is, is he too old? Right. Yeah. So. Um, this is going to make a nice, a nice little uh, collected graphic novel. And let's be honest, it could be an excellent movie, which is what Mark Miller, yeah, I think so. What Mark Miller mm-hmm. goes for. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> I would say that my friend Jason Williams, who uh, played Flash Gordon, actually looks a lot like the character in Starlight. And I, if only we could get his get <laughs> notice, it would be an interesting capper to his career. Indeed, uh, <clears throat> not a capper. I mean, you know, his career's not over, right? But uh, anyway. Uh, I'm going to mention, because this does have historical significance, I guess, in, if you think of New 52 as history or just a footnote. Wonder I'm going to Wo- run away for a second while you're talking about your book. Okay. Wonder Woman <laughs> number 37, which I did not want to pick up the new run. It's uh, the Finches, David Finch and his wife, who had previously uh, – I'm sorry, I don't want to give her short shrift. Her name is uh, what's the uh, Meredith Finch. Um and David Finch, of course, has been a fan favorite artist for a long time, done a, done the Batman Legends of the Dark Knight book for a while. Um, and so they were the announced as the new team taking over after this very interesting, I liked in the New 52, though people have argued it undercuts who Wonder Woman is, Brian Azzarello's uh, and Cliff Chang's run for 35 issues on Wonder Woman that ended with her becoming the god of war. Ares had to step, right. had to step down. It's an interesting retake. It turned out that the whole story about being Clay was not true, uh, you know, which, you know, I, okay. I mean, if you're going to revamp and you're going to say, if you're going to do a retcon like that, that's not a painful one that really undercuts. It's more like, this is the story she was always told. And this is the story also where they made the fact that she was Clay something she had been berated for as a right, child. Right, 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 right. You know, so it was, so I, I, it was a difficult I like to run. overcome. I, and I have a friend like uh, uh, Ron Talbot who listens to I assume occasionally, perhaps often, perhaps always. Um, you know, Ron and I got into it when it first started. He just he didn't like the art. He didn't like this. And I said, I just like, I like the idea. I like the way the gods are being portrayed. It's something different. And, you know, because I'm I'm with that idea about like Galactus. That why we the way we see Galactus is our perception, our brains filling in, right? What he looks like, not what he really looks like. He's really like Cloud, right? Well, then I guess Fox was right. <laughs> my head again um anyway so the finches took over and a lot of people were upset because it's very much i gotta say this so this is what i hate david finch and if you wanted to thumb through this you can see this uh, many portrayals of one many pictures of wonder woman here are over sexualized and she's pretty much just a love doll let me uh show you an action shot uh where uh she basically she goes into action yeah here she it gets is punctured or 
Who was this? Uh, David Finch is drawing Wonder Woman, and uh-huh. it's just you know she's got her mouth is open a lot in kind of an O. Yeah, it, you know, uh-huh. and and if you look through the rest of the book, you realize it's that a, it's a that lot. whole thing is like image in the nineties. Yeah, and that's what I don't. Yeah, it's all all uh, the image superheroines. My downside to it. so it's been reduced. Her breasts are not bigger than her head, though. I'll give them that. In that picture, <laughs> there are a few, and they also have Superman and uh, they have Clark and and Diana working out, and I'm like. Clark doesn't need to work out. I'd like to remind <laughs> That's you. That's weird. I, you know, and uh, there's a lot of sweat. There's a lot of sweat. Uh, Clark but, is sweating? No, actually, I looked really closely because, no, she's just sweating because nobody buys comics to watch men sweat. They well, watch, I don't think oh, she no, he's got, either, he's got sweat on him. Look at the shoulder. Is she sweating? He's got a little, yeah. Maybe that's her sweat. You are so. I, I, There's another. Debbie should listen. Totally yeah. image. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I'm saying, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm just. There are a lot of pinups, and but what makes it interesting is, then, it, spoilers. Um, Donna Troy is reintroduced to the DC. Is introduced to the new Fifty Two. So Wonder Girl appears, and she actually is made from clay. Okay. So I'm like, okay, great. Reverse those origins. But I'm not. I'm not pointing this book out because I think it's well written. In fact, far, the pages of dialogue that repeat over and over, that every three pages, Wonder Woman says, "Well, you know, I'm the new god of war," <laughs> and there's an old crone who goes, "You have so much to learn, young princess, and you need to take the throne." And like every three pages, and it's just like, oh my god, this is this is eight pages of story, drawn out into. Six pages of story. It's kind of reminiscent of when they they Xerox pages to recolor them later in the same book when they're doing it. Yeah, yeah. So at least we know that David Finch has a really good-looking real doll as a model. So uh, that's – Wow. uh, Yeah. I'm sorry. I just just really – Dude, why must you always push that? Uh, let, Let Lon be home. Let him. Anyway, uh, don't buy Wonder Woman. Although, because this is Darwin Cook Month, the covers are fantastic. Every book has an alternate cover. It is a great cover. I'm it's looking by at Darwin the cover. Cook, and it's like I didn't even notice that I that I'd like I'd already told them in the store I don't want to buy Wonder Woman. They pulled it for me anyway, and and I just had it in my stack. I was like, I love the cover, and I didn't even notice that it was Wonder Woman. It makes me want to pull out the old uh, JLA uh, cartoon series. Yeah, or or just reread New Frontier. Yeah, you know, New Frontier. Done. Exactly. Yeah, there we go. So that's mine. Nate, what's your second book? My second book is Justice League number 37. I have that too. It's not in my stack. For, I mean, it's not. I'm so my, far behind on Justice League. It's all my. Lex so. Luthor created the Amazovirus, and now it's his turn to die. Okay. What I love about that is I believe that's the issue that Jeff Johns essentially shows how why Man of Steel didn't have to end the way it did. Nice. Yeah, which I noticed Jeff Johns is doing a lot of, like. Rebuffing of people, you know, like when Superman starts, he John Romito go in there and go like, "Okay, all that stuff about him working for a blog, uh, no, this is who he is." And if he could have pushed the trunks back on Superman, he would have done it, mm-hmm. you know. He, but he knew that was too far uh, in that fight. And this one has that, has that, and it actually, oh my gosh! So um, I cannot remember Troy Benson's son's name, but I got a text over this Amazo virus thing. Uh, <laughs> Troy's probably not a fan. No, uh, no. Tro- Troy's uh, six-year-old, five or six-year-old now. He yeah. sh- he shares these stories with his son, and then his son asks these questions that are like, Troy says, "I can't answer this. Can you?" And I go, "Uh, uh." So like, 
Amazo absorbs the powers yes. of the duplicates the powers of the heroes. So if he takes Green Lantern's power, mm-hmm. which is wearing a ring, but he does get the willpower and the you know, he's been historically shown having that ability to to make constructs and so forth. Okay. Okay. If the entire core took him on, would he be as strong as 3,600 lanterns? Or would he just have the power of one? Ah, I see. Because they all have the same power. Right. And I'm like, uh... I'd go with one. (laughs) That, That was my answer. And I said, but if the new Guardian showed up, he could probably tap into all of the spectrum. Yes. And Eric argued that it's like if he if he if he runs against two speedsters, is he twice as fast or is he just able to I run? I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. So anyway, that was that was an interesting. I love because the que- the questions little kids ask are the good ones. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. As, as I've said before, I I don't know if I said it on the podcast, but I've certainly said it about my own children. Children ask all the right questions. The problem is they accept all the wrong answers. <laughs> so, uh, it's, it's and they a, listen. It's a danger. Children must listen. Yes. Um, okay. Any, anyway, so next uh, on uh, your stack. So then? my next one, and uh, boy, if Nate doesn't choose this one. I, uh, we're I, down I, to two. It was, okay, yeah, that's good. So this, this one is uh, Batman and Robin, number 37. And it is the Dark Side and Batman uh, face-off. It's one of the best Dark Side battles ever. It's one of the best Batman just battles and ever. And the Batman solution to this thing is awesome. I'm just going to go ahead and read it. Batman can't be any more badass than he is in this book. And they're even, you know, it's always tough, you know, from a writing standpoint, when you bring someone back to life, there's always got to be a payment, a cost. You know, there's you know, typically. Oh, don't I know it? And uh, we may or may not see the cost at the end of this book. I'm not going to spoil it for you. Well, there's still a Robin Omega or there's something. A, yeah, <laughs> and and the idea that um, no, I'm not going to spoil. I'm not going to spoil that either. There's a Robin I Alpha, I think, is what's... there was a Robin Alpha issue. Yeah, and there's a Robin Omega. Oh, what I'm saying, and uh, I'm going to give props though. I said that um, you know, Elusive Comics games snuck uh, the Wonder Woman back into my stack. Yeah, they did give me all the Darwin Cook covers this week. They pulled all Darwin Cook for me, okay. knowing that as their loyal customer, I would drool over the Darwin Cook because they made the mistake of the Lego Batman ones not giving me all the Lego Batman cut covers, uh, which I love those. But those again, adorable. our friend Mick Gray just oh, yeah. uh, bringing it home on those inks. And you can listen to that original podcast when I think he was our guest the week that that uh, Damien died. Yeah. Yes, he was. Yeah, and so he was we very upset. He was upset because he didn't get to do that book. That was one of the things, but he also agreed. Damien was a great character. Right, we right. all knew, and, and so I even looked, listened back in those archives because uh, that was a great interview. That was fun, yep. and that was at Seven Stars Bar and Grill. Uh, so the last book in my in in mine would be uh, the latest issue of the loosely gathered The Multiversity, which is Grant Morrison's take on alternate universes in uh, alternate worlds. And it's Thunderworld Adventures. And I was a little scared by this by calling it Thunderworld. It's never referenced that way. But if you read this, this is, 
Now, many of these other books, like when they did that um, Society of Superheroes, that kind of weird, kind of steampunk right, uh, right. or forties pulpy version of the Justice Society. Yeah, that we've seen characters that we know who they are, but they're but they're done differently. And when even when he did the quality. Uh, not quality. The Charlton books, um, Pax Americana. Right. You know, it was basically taking those action heroes of Charlton that Watchmen were based on and then spinning Watchmen back into them and basically right. doing a take on Watchmen. This Thunderworld Adventures, straight up, this is the greatest Marvel family adventure that C.C. Beck never got a chance to draw. Wow. And it is straight and I, I I tweeted out, and I was hoping that Grant Morris would pick it up. It's like, I want more. I know he will never do it, but it's proof of a great writer of flexibility where I was scared of what's the dark undertone that he's going to do with the Marvel family, and it's not. He manages to to show you that the rest of multiverse, multiverse is still happening, there. but proving that characters like the original Captain Marvel, when written correctly by someone who gives a damn about providing fun family-friendly comic book adventure that you don't have to corrupt them with that outside trend. You still write a good story without, without making it And in it this mature. case, his alternate is that Savannah has gathered uh, alternate universe Savannahs who have all read that same haunted ah. comic book. And then you see all these darker versions of Savannah, including one who is a good guy and doesn't realize that his alternates are all evil. There's just like a panel of, huh? uh, <laughs> you know. Wait a minute. But it, it's so straightforward and fun. And I'm just like, and even the thing about Billy Batson, Boy Reporter, which, you know, Jeff Johns' take, which I warmed up to in the when he became Shazam with the hood. Right. You know, um, he threw away that boy reporter thing, and it's like, no, there's still something. You can still play with those tropes, and you don't have to explain it because it comes back down to what, I mean, if you, wa- say, watch an episode of Pokemon, no child has ever watched Pokemon and went, where are Ash's parents? Yeah. Why are they letting him yeah. wander the woods? Is he been walking for a thousand miles in those shoes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, he goes, and, and it's just, like, and just like when you ask how old is Robin, it's like, you know, Nobody cares who who washes the Batmobile, you know. He's just like, we just want the adventure. And that's what this is. It's so much fun, and I wish there would be more. I mean, I know there can't be, and he's going to give us this really cool BDSM version of Wonder Woman uh, for All-Star. You know, he's going to do his alternate there. but And that's what he's going to finish up. Uh, finish up Multiversity. But I hope this stands that somebody else with the vision that Grant Morrison brought to this could pick it up again. And Jeff Smith tried, but Jeff Smith also rewrote a lot. And yeah. and, re- and this is, no, this is the original. It even it re- references, and this I love, this is a total geek thing. Very few people would, would remember this. Um, he's got a uh, suspendium. And the, right. so, so Savannah's gathering all these alternate universe suspendiums. Why suspendium matters is that's what revived Captain Marvel in the DC universe right. in 1971 right. in the first place. And that was their – Wasn't the whole city suspended? Everybody – every member of the cast, yeah. including Dr. Savannah, had been caught in a bubble of suspendium. Right. So since 1952, when they stopped publishing from Fawcett, they were all in a bubble and nobody aged. And they came back in 1972. It's a great conceit to base a story it on. It was a silly thing, which is what Captain Marvel has is moments of silliness. Let it be. Yeah. Let it be. And that's unfortunate. And he's definitely keeps saying, I am Captain Marvel through this. But, you know, it's 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 that, that 
as much as I say, a warm to Jeff Johnson and Gary Frank's Shazam, it was it, it was a, a valid take for 2011 or 12. What I liked about this it, is the original. When this I, is the guy. When I, I saw it on the when I saw it on the stand, I went, "Oh, that's that's really cool because it does the the title does two things for me. It's not Shazam." It's Thunderworld, yeah. which means all the stories that that revolve around the fact, you know, the lightning strike, the the way the powers yes. are, are passed along by virtue of names and stuff. That's gonna be all. It made me think of Thunder Agents, which was kind of the same kind of anthology, you know, different heroes, different, you know, all under under the same. Well, and, yeah, this and the is, title almost has the same same uh, fair, blockish. Uh, but this is fair. Yeah, I see what you're saying, but yeah. it does go back to you know, no, I mean, Captain Billy's with. And he was originally called Captain Thunder. And they changed it because Marvel beat them to the stand with Marvel Mystery Comics. But, but it was Atlas, or it was timely then. But by now calling it Shazam, right? they're not, they're not acknowledging, right. they're trying to rename the character. So I want ongoing Thunder, Thunder World, World adventures. Stories. Sure. Yeah. Because Mary Marvel is the classic Mary Marvel. Captain Marvel Jr. is Captain Marvel Jr. And there's Georgia Savannah and Savannah Jr. and uh, Magnificus Savannah. And it's just like so so much. And the Monster Society of Evil. He gets all the greatest hits in there, including Talkie Tawny, who's sort of like uh, Tom Strong. The Tiger's got the jet pack and ready right. to go with it. And I'm like, I don't know how that happened, but I'd like to read that story. <laughs> and there's even an Uncle Marvel, Uncle Dudley moment where it's like, that's Uncle Dudley. And, you know, I know I'm going deep, deep, deep into the Marvel family, you know, thing. But they, those are the characters I, I loved the most and when I was And most people don't, don't get it. They don't yeah. get the differences between what it was and what they're trying, yeah. to, been yeah. trying to make it into. Yeah, because they always tried to modify it. And this, yeah. and this just doesn't. It embraces who it is. So... Um, let's let's talk movies because we did have the number one movie in the country. Uh, this is a weekend of trilogies uh, ending, coming to their sad close. We are, of course, talking about what should have just been one movie called The Hobbit. There, the and back sixth again. book in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, the, no, no, no. I'm sorry. This is the defining chapter of the Middle Earth saga. Ah, yes. And the ending of of <laughs> the Hobbit, the Phantom Menace. This was the revenge of the Sith. Uh, of of the Hobbit movies, the Battle of the, of the Five Armies. I mean, so it was better than the other ones. Oh I yeah, st- I stayed awake, but that's because I'm on a CPAP. I think I think the uh... no, actually, I did like this the best out of them because I thought the first movie was a lot of running from place to place yes. and expansion of battles that really weren't there in the book. You know, um, the second one was a little silly at times. Yes. And this this one only had one particular scene where you kind of go, right. I think it's funny that there was an interview today where Peter Jackson had to say, "I'm never going to really direct a superhero movie." And I'm like, "You've been, doing- you know, as much as but 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 I thought about this as much as I love superhero movies, yeah. and clearly I do. I'll, I'll see any, you know. Sure. I saw Jonah Hex, um, which existed, Rick. Uh, that. That why I'm sorry, were you, were you just talking? Why, if a director is any good, are fan, fans going like, we're going to make a superhero movie? Because it's like, now that has become the standard. I'm like, the guy actually gave you the Lord of the Rings trilogy and right. you all loved it. Why do you want anything else? I, I'd rather he turn, I'd rather, what I would love for Peter Jackson to do is go back to a simple little movie, you know, um, although, or just a gonzo little movie, a low budget Get away from what he can do. Do an art Weta. house thing so he can pay for his next film. No, that's not what I'm saying. It's just I, like you know, I, I 
like actually my favorite my favorite Peter Jackson and people don't like it that much is I love the Frighteners. I mm. love the Frighteners. Okay. And that's a fun original idea. Give me a fun original idea that's going to take sneak up on me from the left and go, "Oh, I that's a neat concept." And said he's been so deep in this and and the Hobbit could have been two movies. The Hobbit probably could have been one. I will I understand from a commercial point of view, you know, and we talked about this last year when the movie came out, when the second movie came out. The novel is a delightful little children's book, uh, you know, that, that, yeah, Tolkien went back and rewrote a couple times, revised a couple of times once he had figured out a couple of other things. Yeah. Uh, But it's, you know, it it isn't The Lord of the Rings. Well, it isn't really The Hobbit either, because he's trying to tell a lot of the backstory for Lord of the Rings. No, 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 I mean, that's what I'm saying. But but I'm saying that that's what I I mean is that, that The Hobbit. If you're looking at The Hobbit as an adaptation of that novel, which is also called Or There and Back Again, right. that's not what these movies have been. That's what these movies that's not what these movies ever were. Right. They were a lot of the Silmarillion, they were a lot of the uh, stuff and that I don't think was necessary because at this point this is the problem with going back into the Phantom Menace, a movie that does not have any impact on the Star Wars saga really. It adds no information except maybe Jar Jar Binks. Now, that, are you not afraid as I'm kind of afraid that we're going to get a movie about how Legolas went off and found nope. Strider and, and you, how I, Sauron got... And I, I'll tell uh, you why why I'm not afraid of that. Okay. Because he's given he's made it very clear that the Tolkien estate won't let him do it. Okay. So um, unless the Tolkien estate says, go ahead and go crazy and show us something else. But see, that's my problem. I don't... Not only I, I don't have a fear of it, but I don't need a a movie connecting it, those things. But those scenes in this one were just in any other movie you'd go, that's the setup for the next movie. Oh yeah, no no no. Yeah. But the, but that next movie is called The Fellowship of the Rings. And and it it doesn't quite add up. But when I realized the whole thing, like the romance, which apparently Peter Jackson said that was to try to get women into the theater, and I'm like, how insulting! No. You had a really you know, a solid female. You had a character. solid female character who eventually, Lily. Apparently, I you know, I don't know. I'd, I'd read. I don't know if it's true. I'd read that she was a little irritated when she signed on. She just thought it was going to be this really cool elf character and not get caught up in sort of like this love triangle because she'd done that with Lost. Yeah. And here it was she was she's comports her herself well. She's into the world very clearly. She you know. But ultimately, when when that story, that love story is over, which you know, I'll just say ends the same way for one of the characters, the, the, for the character that exists in the book, right? Ends the same way. Yep. That love story didn't add anything. To you could cut it from the film, and I think we, I think all filmmakers need to take a look at that. If you can cut it and without making any, don't with, do it. Don't do it. You know, I I'll mean, be right back. I and get I know, to and I know sometimes when you're screenwriting and when you're writing a script, you do try to add a little scene so that you've got something to cut from if it's too long. But you still want everything to be to add something to the film. To the, yeah. You know, even if it doesn't necessarily contribute directly to the to the story, at least a moment that people will remember or will be cool. And it, it just didn't have that. So I found it watchable. I enjoyed it. I'm going to see it again. I'm going to take uh, of my course, time. Of course, none of that, we should be clear, none of that is to, to diminish at all Evangeline Lilly's performance. No, that, I think she's which great. Which was just like, she, anytime she was on the screen. Oh, I almost put in the review, though. I mean, she she certainly inspired one of the best costumes I've seen your wife ever do. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> that, uh, and, 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 and just watch the cosplay circuit because I'm sure she'll wear it again. Uh, but... You know, no, it doesn't take away. It was full of great performances. Yeah. 
you know, because I also thought that there were things with Thorin that it's like, well, if it wasn't Richard Armitage, and the idea that Rich that Thorin and Bilbo, because they really hammered this home, he's my friend. Yeah, he was my friend. Wait, that's not in the book, and it was a movie that's afraid to, and maybe this is where our culture is. We're afraid to show that heroes really are flawed and that sometimes they don't figure it out until it's too late. Right. And I think that the way they, they did Thorin in here figures it out in time and still pays the price. Right. But it's like, I like the way, and I think back to that anime, that Rankin-Bass animated adaptation of, of, of The Hobbit. Orson Bean, I think, did the voice of, yeah. of Bilbo. And Return of the King. Uh, no, 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 pardon me. They did uh, both. They, they, they did, did Return oh, of the yeah. King, and they right, did the right. Hobbit. And the Hobbit, uh, which has the fantastic song where there's a whip, there's a, there's way. a way. Yes, uh, the Hobbit ends and the greatest adventure, adventure. Uh, that uh, that at the end, and Hans Conrad was Thorin. Uh, you know, who's the voice of the magic mirror in Disney specials, not in the movie, but um, you know, it just has a great, you know, it's sort of a judgmental voice, and. That, as a kid, really impacted me. I'd read the book, but really impacted me seeing Thorin in the camp, on the cot, dying, Uh begging forgiveness. And it just doesn't have the impact in this because they've already established we're friends yeah and i've already you know and it's like and that's why sometimes by putting in more oh, he says forgive me and and yeah bilbo's like for what yeah whereas really when it's bilbo missed the whole thing and didn't witness the the, the final battle which was a cool final battle don't get me wrong I mean, yeah. those, the, peter jackson can make kick-ass action i mean I, you know even though sometimes they defy all all <laughs> sense of reality and gravity you know they were fun to watch, but in a kind of like a okay, I guess that's where we're going now. Yeah, uh, you know that that's uh, that it just that too many directors because uh, this movie was the shortest of the Hobbit films as well at two hours and forty five minutes. Um, that less is more. Yeah, you know, and sometimes the the emotion is better served by not hitting it on the nose, which unfortunately, and it's again not Evangeline Lily's part. She, the, she, and Lee Pace. I mean, you want to give Lee Pace a great moment, but, but they have these buttons to their arc that is like, just in case the stupid people didn't get it, um, you know, and, and and too much of that is going on in movies in general. I feel the same way because the other trilogy that came to an end this last weekend was Night at the Museum. If you ever could have imagined that was a trilogy, but. Night at the Museum, uh, Battle, uh, Secret of the Tomb, because the second one was Battle of the Smithsonian, um, which is notable because it's Robin Williams' last film. Yeah, uh, not his last film. He did, he his, has one his voice, last his one appearance, his la- last live action uh, job. Um, and I felt it was, it's a movie plagued with the same problem. We just keep hitting on the nose and telling people, "Get it? Well, you get hear, it? Get it?" You hear people, and I think I think it's just been Hollywood pandering to that kind of thing. Yeah, you, people who get up against a, a movie that challenges them a little more to think a little bit more. Yeah. And we're going to talk about one in a little bit. Um, are we? Yeah, we are. Um, uh, but, I, wow. If that's what I think it is, I don't... I, okay, but anyway, go ahead. So the, the idea that um, they come away complaining about it. Like, it was confusing. And I go, no, it, all it really did was make you think and leave a couple things open so you could interpret and not, not actually know. And if people want to actually know. 
Right. And it's sort of like I said when we were talking about Interstellar a few weeks ago that one of the things that I loved and people, nobody's talking about, but we talked about it, was that moment where they're talking about how easily it is for the government to rewrite history. Yeah. That your daughter believes in the moon landing was and faked. all the and all the text yeah. and all the textbooks text are saying, saying it was faked and i'm like you know to bankrupt the soviets when the te- when the te- you know texas state board of education is is approving books history books that put moses in as one of the direct influences on the founding father when you know if you read actual history like say benjamin franklin he was not an atheist they were deists and we want and a lot of conservatives in this country and look, this is not to cut against conservatives, but I but I keep saying when you rewrite history and lie about something that right. is easily disproven, you weaken your argument. You're not strengthening it. You're by bullying. I can I can think of and I've had conversations with conservative friends that I agree is like, you know, you make a really good point when you're talking about why you have that viewpoint. Oh, that's interesting. You know, I have to think about it. I, and I love having those conversations we've gotten away from. Mm-hmm. But when you're just like, oh, no. And, you know, and and, and uh, Moses appeared and, and gave the Ten Commandments to Thomas Jefferson. Exactly. Oh, who, by the way, isn't in, in the, the history book in Texas because he is too uncomfortable uh, as too many statements against Christianity or doubting of Christianity. And he had a Koran. So, mm. Mm. You know, uh, you know, I mean, it's too easy to manipulate. There's that subtle thing going on in Interstellar. I do think Interstellar hits a few things on the nose, too. But you have to. And, yeah. I, and, I, and I agree. And I'm frustrated that we're at that point. I used to love ambiguity. And I still love ambiguity. And I'd like to see a movie that is going to give me that challenge. I'm already re- reading, like, Entertainment Tonight, uh, tonight Entertainment Weekly reviewed uh, Into the Woods. And if you know the musical, and I know you do, uh, they said like, well, the first two thirds are are great, and then the last third is like they should have stopped when they had the ending happy. And I'm like, wow. Well, then you actually don't know Into the Woods, yeah. which is the point. And I know a lot of people don't like Into the Woods right. because of Act Two, but I'm like, well, thank you for without spoiling it, reaffirming for me that at but least it's... the movie has Act Two. <laughs> you yes. know, um, actually, Eric Shen, our uh, friend of the podcast and a really great guy. Um, Saw a screening of it a little while ago, and he said he really didn't like it. He said if you took a beloved musical and then ripped, you know, stabbed it, um, that was his feeling. And I and I've heard a lot of mixed response yeah. back. I, you know, I have not seen it yet. I was in L.A. when the screening was going on up here, so you know. But anyway, I to go back to none of the museum though. I do want to do want to point out, uh, and I put in in my review that um, as the movie may not be all that great, but if if the Oscars don't take Robin Williams' last line and put it in the tribute to robin williams they will have missed like the perfect the perfect farewell from robin williams and this is him as teddy roosevelt as as teddy roosevelt the line just destroyed me and my son (laughs) she's gonna have to watch all three movies no you don't i'll tell you off 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 camera uh, you know off the podcast offline uh but i mean my son was like and then at the end they say you know they dedicate it to mickey rooney it's also mickey rooney's last film and nobody cares uh you know oh, he has really? one line he's going out spitting and pissing you know and it's like typical mickey rooney because he's in the first one as well and and then they say they dedicate to mickey rooney and then and robin williams magic never never ends and i was just like oh my you know the 10 year old's going are you okay dad and i'm like i just got sad for robin williams and he goes well you know daddy you told me he didn't want to live 
with what he had, you know, and he's giving me all the stuff when two months ago wow. he had said to me, Dad, I, I'm sad about Robin Williams. And I explained, you know, I know it's not the choice that we necessarily believe we would make, but, you know. Well, we good had, job for you. You know, but it's great that he gave it right back. Right. And I'm like, yeah, it's okay. I'm just going to sit here for a minute, okay? It's all right <laughs> to cry a little bit, son, too. This is another <laughs> I, lesson. I, I teach him that all the time. But <laughs> Daddy is a wuss. And, uh, <laughs> you know, cry, baby. And it's funny, you know. If Lon's listening to this, yes, go ahead. I want you to immediately uh, tweet at me, Weepy McWeeperson, you know, because I made it in front of him for that What'd you cry Iron Gang. I was talking about uh, Rob Williams' last line in Night at the Museum, which I, I the movie wasn't great, but but his farewell was perfect, so you, you missed that. Uh, I'm not going to go over it again because I'll cry again. Um, but we did get, um, in geek news, Star Trek Three has a director uh, and a new title. It's called Three Star, Three Trek. Uh, because it's Justin Lin, the uh, director of the Fast and the Furious uh, franchise. That's probably the title. <laughs> no, it's not. Thank you. But for just a second, like, for a second, the going, terror in your eyes. <laughs> and I can't remember who on Facebook. Uh, said, I think it might be J- uh, Jordan Rosa, who, who's written some articles for us, too, <laughs> said it's like, well, at least now. No, it was, this was you. Didn't you say that it was like at least the... The vehicle defying gravity makes sense because no, that wasn't everybody. me. That was Gordon, uh, Jordan, I think. Yeah, it was Jordan. So I mean, that, you know, that's funny because yeah, I was just I, I was thinking, I, how long is it going to be before somebody cuts together a bunch of scenes from the uh, Abrams movies but adds tire screech noises for the Enterprise turning? Oh, oh this just in, it's already done. <laughs> I'm so tired of that. Come on, people, do something original. But uh, no, I, I'm actually kind of thinking. Because what we hear is that Paramount is saying, well, they're looking at Guardians of the Galaxy and going, do something like that. And then there are people going, oh, that's going to be cr- terrible, terrible. And I think David Gerald said, well, it just means maybe we'll get Harry Mudd. Yeah. You know, maybe we'll get some. No, the whole thing about it is the Enterprise is the foil. It's it's You have somebody else being interesting and different, and they're the ones that have to come in and reset well, reality. You know, and, and it is kind of interesting. I... Uh, I had a conversation on the phone yesterday. I can't. I can't really say why yet on on air. But um, I uh, I got to say, I, got, I got, got to talk to B. Joe Trimble ah. yesterday, and we were talking about uh, other things. And then it, we, and they talked to me before at uh, uh, WesterCon. Yeah, very briefly. Uh, yeah. She didn't remember me, and I and I doubted she would. Right. You know, uh, it was such a brief conversation. And so, but we we talked yesterday, and she said, you know, that was the one the Star Trek in her mind changed things because it did mean that science fiction could be could tackle serious issues and still be fun mm-hmm. and i thought uh you know because it was it was very subdivided it was goofy you know maybe not necessarily or it was so portentous that it got silly and star trek really brought it together and said and then you know you know it's this so i mean and so i think that a star trek 3 could handle that quite well and Justin Lin isn't a horrible choice. And so, but there are people getting angry because it's like, oh, Fast and Furious. I'm like, well, you know what? I've watched a couple of the Fast and the Furiouses. He's done other films, too. Yeah, and and, and they're not terrible. Yeah, they're, I'm trying to remember. I can't remember what, what else he's done. And the, the, the reality is, if you want Star Trek the way you remember it, that's going to be another TV series. Yeah. Because that's where the serious stuff is going. And that's really, and here I, after, on the heels of complaining about, I want a movie that's got, uh, you know, in, that makes me think when I walk out. On the other hand, something like Star Trek is such a tent pole, and they've got and they got to sell the pajamas. Um, you know, it it needs to bring in as wide an audience as possible. Yeah, you know, or there won't be a Star Trek four. So, what do you want, people? 
Um, I totally forgot. There was a, a photo released this week of, you mentioned, you know, brought it up, the man from UNCLE, Henry Cavill. We've been talking so much about Superman v. Batman, I totally forgot that Henry Cavill had been cast as Napoleon Solo. And that Army Hammer is Ilya Karyakin. I'm like, I... That's an interesting one. Um, so yeah, they're just chilling on a, some Italian rooftop someplace. And they're they're, looking, they're, if you look closely, they're, they're pretty. They're bruised and scratched up. They've been in a fight scene, but looking. Well, they're cool. still chilling. They're, they're, they're they've, they've got room. Uh, the, there's a little sign on the on the uh, table, and I zoomed in on it and translated it to confirm. Yes, it was Italian, and it says it says for more service, just call the concierge, call room service. Okay, so. so. Uh, just one shot. We know nothing, but it is coming out in August, directed by Guy Ritchie. So, like the Sherlock Holmes movies, which may not be the Sherlock Holmes that you remember, those are fun. And he's certainly good at doing the bromance stuff. And so, I could see if you're going to do Man from Uncle in 2014. And those and are 2015. Two, uh, they should play the characters exactly the same way with with Ilya being the kind of stoic. He is kind of a Tonto esque character for. Okay, for, but here's your problem Army Hammer was the Lone Ranger. I know. And the problem with Army, turn. and my only fear, and I, I think he's a talented actor because he was very good in the in the Social Network, and he was fun on Reaper. My fear is that every time that he's given a chance to be funny, he is over. goofy. Yeah. He he, and maybe Guy Ritchie would change it. Is I is he needs to dry. It's a weird thing to say. He needs to dry up. Yeah. He needs to be more dry, and I and I haven't seen that from him yet. I'm not saying I won't. I'm just saying I haven't in performances. I like Army Hammer, but I've not seen him be like a dry wit yet. Yeah, and that's what Ilya Karyakin should be. You know, so we'll see. We'll see. Um, okay, so the uh, one other announcement, and then we'll get to the big controversial story. Leica Pictures, it's worth mentioning, has announced that they're going into their fourth film. Uh, Kubo and the Two Strings, a fantasy with Ray Fiennes is is doing a voice. They've already announced that they've cast cast him. I think Kate Winslet was another one in there, and they're interesting because they're the company that made Coraline. They made um, <coughs> one of my favorite animated films the last five years, Paranorman. Mm-hmm. And anyway, if you haven't seen it, the Box Trolls. The Box Trolls was great. I haven't seen it yet, but I like the previews. It's great. It's weird. It's full of fantastic and and. You need proof that Tracy Morgan, who unfortunately it sounds like he's not recovering well from his accident, right. was an actor of untapped possibility as one of the villains as a voiceover. It's like I had no idea I was listening to Tracy Morgan until I saw it in the credits. Went, oh my gosh! Yeah. But it's a great. It's it's just a really fun, weird movie, and so I'm looking forward to this Kubo and the Two Strings. So, I remind you that if you see the box trolls on DVD, Blu-ray, Netflix, whatever. Watch it. It's a fun kind of overlooked film. My son and I saw it. Is it out of theaters already? It's out of theaters. It's been out of theaters for quite some time. Um, But uh, so the big news, of course, is we just did on Christmas Day. Was Santa going to bring us an interview? The interview. Not just an interview. The interview. And this is how, you know, I mean, the whole thing is. Gentlemen. Yes. I'm going to have to leave now. Oh, okay. no, 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 no. I, I, okay, so you're forcing my hand. Okay. Um, Nate, you have your computer there? Yes. Okay. Uh, I was going to save this for the end, but uh, we'll go right on ahead. Merry Christmas to both of you. There's something up on Fanboy Planet that I, I, um, I got specifically for all of us, but... And it's no no one outside of us can see it. So Nate, what you want to oh, do? All right. all right. What you want to do is go to the last podcast page. 
the 379? Yes. This okay. is like a scavenger hunt. It is, indeed. And I'm, I'm going to... <laughs> Did you I, write a poem again? No, I didn't. Okay. So then scroll all the way down to the bottom where the credits are. Yes. And see those, those dots right there? Yes. yes. Click them. <laughs> that is awesome. I commissioned... I should only be this thin. I commissioned a, a caricature of all three of us as the Fanboy Planet podcast crew by, from Gaz. From Gaz, that's beautiful. Gaz Gretzky. We worked on it. Uh, he went back and forth on it for about a week. I'm not going to tell you how much it cost, but uh, it, was, it wasn't cheap. Um, but, no, he uh, should not be cheap. He's he, great. He, he was, that he was is the coolest thing was awesome. I've ever seen. And I wish I looked that good. I, you know, I thought about telling him to beef you up a little bit, but I thought, no. This is this it's is Christmas. We are we are our we are our superhero characters in this, and each one of these. And uh, so, for you listening at home, uh, Nate is the Nate Hulk, and he's got he's got Nate's signature shoes and torn up uh, basketball shorts. And but they're Der- purple, and they are purple. And Derek is Plastic Man, and he's. Uh, we talked a lot about where your arms were going to be going, and your. Uh, I've got my signature lack of toes. Uh, and I'm in the Nick Fury uh, spacesuit uh, <laughs> with 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 a microphone wow. out in front. Now this is in this is in um, Photoshop. Each one of these is a separate layer, so I can pull them out and just use them one at a time. We I can see. recompose wow. them. All this text is stuff I did after the fact. Uh, so I can I can add and change backgrounds. I can go with a transparent background. There's a lot of flexibility in this I picture. I think this should get tweeted out. So, Merry, one of the coolest things Merry Christmas. With credit to Gaz and yep. uh, Thank Lincoln. You. Yes, uh, that's that, that, that. I assume that will be the image actually when this that will be the image on this podcast this this week. Yes, fantastic. And then that's going to be a profile pic. Um, and I've got to go. <laughs> I, I've got to call Gaz and say thank you for um, you know showing me who I could be. <laughs> uh, all right, so. We say to you, Nate, uh, good night. Uh, you got to go. Right, I totally understand. Totally understand. Good luck. Um, and hopefully we'll see you this weekend. I'm going to need it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. So we're going to. Merry talk- Christmas, Nate. Merry Christmas. Thank you, Rick. Merry Christmas to you guys. We're going to talk about the interview. I mean, this is an amazing. We talked a little bit earlier, but, you know, this is an amazing story. But it ultimately comes down to um, Sony was not going to show the. was not going to release the interview. Because, uh, I understand, there were theaters, you know, there were, I don't know if you'd call them credible threats, but in this society of fear, there were threats that moviegoers were going to be, that somewhere a theater was going to be attacked, or at least that was the implication, uh, if if you went to see the, the interview on... That was the statement that they had made yeah. in their, their yeah. messages. So many chains refused to show it. And then it got to, like, uh, the Alamo Draft House said, well, we're going to show Team America World Police instead. And then Paramount said, no, you're not. Yeah. And so everybody's like... It's on Netflix. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, they can come to my... No, don't come to my house. Uh, you know, here's the the other thing, too. Is I'm going, uh, I think this is... We are about to see an independent of all governments group of supervillainy, like Spectre, is really behind all this. Because we go... Okay, North Korea then claims we didn't do this, but if you don't do what they said, and they, you know, and even though the FBI said no, this is this is uh, this this hack on Sony was from North Korea. It's like, well, no. There's a lot of arguments against in that 
North Korea didn't come into it. The interview didn't even come into it until about two weeks after the initial hack. Right. <clears throat> Wasn't even mentioned until other people said, oh, this is probably North Korea because of. And then this these guardians of peace said, oh, yeah, that's right. You know, so it, it, it's weird. But anyway, Sony pulled it. The president of the United States said, wish they'd called me. And, <laughs> and Sony's like, well, no video on demand services, you know, no no credible online service has offered, forgetting that they actually own two themselves. Right. Um, you know, and, and people are saying like, well, uh, you know, they, they have to negotiate with Netflix. I'm like, yeah, but they have crackle which would have meant they don't have a pay paywall for that yeah they have to offer that free i get that that's advertisement based but i noticed on my blu-ray player which is a sony right that there's a sony movies on yep. demand channel i mean they could have done yep. it but they completely left that out again people even entertainment journalism man nobody's doing their job and telling you the truth but ultimately i think it's 200 independent movie theaters and thank God they still exist, including locally. There is the camera, camera three. cinemas, the chain, mm-hmm. but there's only three. Yeah, there's three. This is seven. Seven, there's 12, and, and, and three. three. And is Los Gatos Cinema still Los Gatos Theater part of the chain? It used to be, but I think it I might, don't think it is anymore. I think it might be independent. Yeah. Of course, the other problem is I just realized I've seen this a lot. Oh, camera three. Why is that for me? Oh, because that's where I perform at comedy sports. So yep. if there's going to be an attack on San Jose, <laughs> I'm not playing Saturday night. Sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, so it's mm, interesting. Some of the sides on that that are kind of also interesting. So you've got the, the Guardians of Peace, the GOP, as we like to call them. Um, but that is a term that Nixon used when he went into China. So there is actually a history. But Guardians of Peace. Yeah. Um, there's another shadowy organization that's gotten involved, or at least Spectre? spoken. Oh, oh anonymous. Spoken about anonymous. You wanted it to be about anonymous. Anonymous. Uh, anonymous. Want has has said that they would release the oh, film, yeah. even if 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 it didn't get released by anybody else. But you know, I mean, I have no doubt they, they meant it. But it, but it, to me, that was a misstep on anonymous's part because up to up till now, I've been on anonymous's side. Yeah. All you know, I mean, like everything that Anonymous has done so far to me has been, oh, you're, you know, I mean, not a hundred percent agree, but you're, but you're using your powers for good, and uh, or trying to, and I, I feel like if you were saying you're going to hack into Sony's servers, no, they're going to hack into the stolen stuff. That no, um, the yeah, other, but you did notice that North Korea's internet went down. That was what I was just going to bring. That's up. what I'm saying. It's the, Spectre. It's the Spectre. internet went down in North Korea for the bulk of yesterday. I haven't heard anything. I haven't checked out the news on any kind of uh, speculation on how it went down. It's actually a group called the FNB. It's uh, Fat Nerds in Boise. Who <laughs> uh, decided we've taken enough heat? We've got to. You know, They've know. got a water cooled computer that. They're, yeah. And they want all the funyuns they can eat. <laughs> and Mountain Dew. Yep. Fly by night, all Mountain Dew. Okay. Anyway, so that was <laughs> that's, it. I that's mean, it. I'm sure that the story, the movie they make about about what this. happened with the interview, will be far more entertaining than, than the, interview the interview itself will be, will be because. Yeah. They had had press screenings, so there are many of my compatriots that go to the screenings on a regular basis have already seen it. And even when they when Sony said we're not going to release it, the screenings had already happened. I 
you know, again, was was working down in L.A. and don't have the connections down there to go. So I'm like, okay. Um, and it's got like a 53% on Rotten Tomatoes, which doesn't necessarily mean anything. But what I keep hearing is it's just more of the same. I am one of those people that thought, well, this is the end was vaguely entertaining. Yeah. But not really great. There were a couple good scenes. And that's what I hear is the interview is. And I thought, you know, and then, of course... But then I want the interview to come out because I've got people like uh, my mother going, well, you shouldn't make fun of a, of, of a leader. And then the argument is going like, well, the great dictator stood up for art. And I'm like, wow, this may be the first and hopefully last time, as much as I like Seth Rogen, that he's compared directly to Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> you know, it's like, but then I realized what the great dictator did differently is it's adenoid Hinkle. It's not Adolf Hitler. Right. It's very clear what it is. But, you know, there is a thing where, and it's sort of because I go to the early years of NYPD Blue. What, there are sometimes, I'm not in favor of censorship. I'm really, really not. But I do understand that sometimes when you challenge yourself with some restrictions, that it, right. impre- it, it improves creativity. Definitely. And if if the interview had been a movie about a guy going to this Asian, because, you know, nobody said anything when they made Red Dawn about North Korea. But... Uh, if it had been an Asian country and clearly, but it was a fictional Asian country, and maybe nobody would believe that now, um, and and maybe that's their their right. argument. But to do it again against a, a real world uh, leader is like you could have taken some sharper shots or made some sharper points about apparently the the bromance, and it would have been clear. And I know that the president was Team America World Police, where there was a puppet of Kim Jong-il. Yeah. But, okay, those were puppets. And there was no confusing that with reality. None. You know, and so I just I just kind of would like, in hindsight, it's a shame they didn't challenge themselves because then they would have actually maybe had more freedom to take shots because they could have gone totally crazy with what the country yeah, they could have had They could have had a lot more uh, ability to to change the story up a bit more yeah. you know give it a little more conflict the guys go over there and they end up like and they're buying into the assassination thing and they go over there and they end up liking the guy because he's no, actually, actually misunderstood no that's actually the is plot. that what happens that's actually the plot <laughs> oh, james franco and kim jong-un become friends and they're bro- and they're both like basically man children i did in, not know that stuck in positions they don't want to be in um, and I may be actually giving it more weight than the plot really deserves, but that's okay. that's what it is. And I thought, I thought, okay, that's cool. But they've already leaked the end, the shot online of the actual death. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, this reminds me at this point. By the way, if anybody listening hasn't seen the Great Dictator, um, do yourself a favor if you have a break this this winter, this December, um, because you can see any. I don't recommend taking it out of context, is because it is such a great film. It really is a great film. But you can find on YouTube this video that says, The Greatest Speech Ever Filmed. And Charlie Chaplin's speech when uh, the barber, who is the, the duplicate of uh, the doppelganger of, of Adenoid Hinkle, is posing as, as, as Hinkle and is called up to do the, give the radio address. Because you've seen the film, right, Rick? Uh, the the yeah, Great sure, Dictator. Sure, sure. And he's called up to give the radio address. It's a moment of almost histrionic, but I showed it to cynical high school students and because, I mean, you know, it is a great film, but I've shown it and they agree. They go like, you know, there's something that's still speaking 
to today with that speech. Yeah. It, it almost is the tone shifts so abruptly, and but it's it was it, it's the heart on his sleeve. Chaplin saying this is his shot at using art, and that's why I say comparing the interview to it is like Chaplin made art. You guys just wanted to make fifty million dollars. Yeah, uh, you know, and it's like um, you know if you're going to take a shot like that. Make a statement, and I don't know that it necessarily did. So, I mean, who knows? It's one of those things. It's one of those things that I think. I think we both, yeah, gone film classes. We've seen all the basic films that you need to see to be able to do general analysis of films right. based on history and stuff. Iron Sky used the Great Dictator to talk about. Um, the danger. Oh, that was a brilliant usage of, of Great Dictator. Where it's like an eight-minute short. Yeah, it's an eight-minute. <laughs> they, they cut it down to eight minutes to make Hitler look like a, a very, you know, a playful gentleman. That Chaplin loved him, right? Yeah. And then she, then when she's on Earth, she sees the whole film. You know, and we say that is probably the smartest thing in Iron Sky. And yeah, and, and a lot, and of, a lot of people aren't going to get it because they've never seen it. Before. You should, yeah, definitely recommend that film. Um, but although it does ruin, you know, I. Uh, I I'm torn if I should, if I want to see the interview just because it's like well, and then and there's also the theory of was this just a brilliant ad campaign? <laughs> Did Sony destroy its entire infrastructure to get more than forty million dollars on this film? Wow, I don't know. No, they didn't. They didn't. But since Nate's left, we can talk about television. Let's move on to better things. Oh yes. Um, first, Daredevil has finished shooting for Netflix. Yes. It's going to stream in May, or as I call it, the month that none of us see the sun. Because you're going to have Avengers Age of Ultron, and then you're going to have 13 episodes of Daredevil. Although, I don't like the pick. I, apparently, he is going to get the red suit. Thank heavens. Because they showed him with, with the black suit with, from Man Without Fear, the Frank Miller miniseries. Yeah. And uh, But the thing that bugs me is that, again... No eye holes. No eye holes. And I remember that was Stan Lee's biggest complaint about Trial of the Incredible Hulk. Rex Smith did a fine job as Matt Murdock, but his costume made it clear that Daredevil was blind. You know, I, I, was, I was thinking about that. And you can... You could make... You you could make the that mask so that you didn't actually have to have eye holes to be able to see through the fabric. Right. I mean, right. It's not it's not impossible, and and no. you know you can't see Spider Man's eyes either. I mean, he's got no mirrors for eyes, right? So, although I think Amazing Spider Man's costume did a better job of that than mm. than Spider Man. But um, anyway, so that's there. But that goes with we have got Kristen Ritter playing AKA Jessica Jones. Um, for the next miniseries, in which they will also spin. So I'll assume that Kristen Ritter is probably going to make an appearance near the end of Daredevil to roll over into the next thing. Where yeah, that makes sense. Where they've cast Luke Cage today. Mike Coulter is playing Luke Cage, and he will make his debut in the Jessica Jones Good-looking guy. I mean... Well, he's the guy in that Halo film that... Uh, I've watched that once, and I really kind of... I have to go back and watch it again. It came at the... On yeah, he's got a lot of latest. TV, a lot of TV credits, but um, so um, he, he looks enough like Luke Cage he looks to like, me. He looks like he could be sweet Christmasing across the screen. I don't. Yeah, I will have a friendly wager as to whether he actually. <laughs> no, he'll say sweet he'll Christmas. say sweet he'll Christmas. say sweet Christmas once. He will, but he yeah. won't wear the tiara. No, um, not unless it's it, it happens once and he takes it off. Yeah. You know? So the Twelve Monkeys series on Sci-Fi that's launching. I thought it had already launched. I saw. No, it, it's uh, it's uh, launching. Okay. Beginning of next year. Okay. Um, a couple of weeks, actually, I think. Yeah, I think it's that, like the 6th. And then your January. beloved show, At Midnight, is going to 11 p.m. That makes no sense. 
Uh, well, let's stay with the 12 Monkeys first because yeah. th- there's been a lot of uh, previews. And oh, I, I had watched... a connection, 12 Monkeys, 12 Midnight. It was like... yeah. Oh, I see. I see what you did there. Um, you know, 12 Monkeys is the one that I was talking about earlier, which has – there's a lot of – you have to think your way through that film. Um, yes. The average person has to because it's really twisted and it's, you know, like any, any of uh, Terry, Gilliam's. Terry Gilliam's films – he doesn't. He he doesn't really hand anything to you on a plate. You've got to listen to everybody what they're talking about, and you have to put together where you think you're going and where you end up going. Well, and, also because Terry Gilliam, um, if he handed it to you on a plate, that plate would be so creepy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> exactly. It would no, have a head and I on love it. Terry Gilliam. I love Terry Gilliam yeah. films, but yeah. So that and a lot of people are saying, well, that was like the perfect film. You know, it, it's a derivative. Uh, it's homage I think that may to be La Jete. That may be his most mainstream yeah film. and Bruce. certainly uh, brad pitt is brilliant in that yes. just over the top brilliant so the actors and actresses who are going into this thing are like are are really aware of what what has gone before and what they're going to do do with this and it's actually i was thinking is it going to be a mini series ongoing series they're actually plotting the same you know, as an ongoing series um there is a short-term uh, mission for the guy who gets sent back from the future and then nothing much has changed the virus has yeah. wiped out most everything they're sending somebody back to deal with what caused the virus and but there are some kind of twists some nice twists to it i'm really looking forward to this and but well, like I, I do want to give it a shot it I'm, is, I'm, because it is a movie that I, I i love i haven't gone back and watched in a long time uh, i watch it at least once a year how do you have the time for that? Because there are a lot of movies that you say I watch at least once a year. I do. Yeah, I'm going to watch it tonight just so I can get it in this year. You son of a. <laughs> uh, make the monkey sound so that at least it makes sense. I Eep. mean, no, no, I mean, you know, when you edit me out, going son of a. Beep. Uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, tell me about this. At midnight, going to an hour earlier. So at eleven makes no sense. So you may have realized that um, for the last couple of years, uh, the Comedy Central late night lineup has been the daily show and then and then after that is uh the colbert report and And then the colbert report you've been been mispronouncing it for nine years and then at midnight well there's a gap because they had the last colbert report uh last week and so they're moving for a couple of weeks at midnight forward a half an hour to 11 30 yeah okay so i don't know i i love that show i've missed i haven't missed an episode since the first uh they first came out and they have great comics and yeah it's very very funny off the cuff stuff well, i do like to support chris hardwick for he is the nerdist he is the nerdist in and, that title yeah the nerdist yeah so he's undoubtedly going to play uh quite a bit with the fact that ad midnight is on the eleven thirty, 30 and it's sort of like comedy sports again says they have the midnight show that plays at nine fifteen on saturday nights because we're all yeah. too old to stay up and do and improvise a live show uh, at midnight so the daily show is changing its name no no no. the day no the colbert report oh, no. being replaced by larry wilmore's right right i knew that it's called the nightly show oh it's called the nightly show i hadn't heard that name so the, it's the daily show it. and the nightly show ah, okay. so that makes sense because they're doing something very different than what you know the colbert report was and although if you watch the colbert report's final episode last week it was a total sci-fi fantasy Man, did you? I mean, George Lucas showed up on there just to sing. Yeah, uh, we'll meet again. Um, but then the last 
five minutes just went off into this weird it was that like, was perfect though and he was no he would he was transcending into the oh, no, realm I, of no, I, 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 myth, I know and I, I yeah. and it was just like but it was so like it was so oddly paced to me yeah because i i just i'm one of those guys i'd watch the Colbert report if i was like over michael goodson's and say you got to watch this one and and then you know so i wasn't a regular i mean because there are shows i love uh, you know episodic shows that i don't watch until weeks later so if i were watching the the Colbert report every night i i don't know what i'd have time else to do yeah so you know i made sure though last friday night to watch uh, to catch it on um Hulu. you need to watch like the last four they yeah, kind of i know i'm kind of going, yeah. going going back there but it, it was a very interesting and uh, what i enjoyed most was in reading the final song he played which is very serious and heartfelt the neutral milk hotel uh song which is interesting because until last year I had never heard of that band, and then I had a, a freshman student who was very much into them and uh-huh. was telling me, you know, so it was just kind of interesting that I was something that I was thought was very outside. Then it's then Stephen Colbert, and then when you read the lyrics and you go, yeah, and remember that the real Stephen Colbert is, I mean, it's a life full of of tragedy, really, touched by, and how he's able to turn around. And, you know, he's an important figure. And if if media survives in the, into the twenty first late twenty first century, he will be regarded very very highly historically, even before we get this uh, uh, taking over the uh, the, t- uh, the late show the late the show. late show no, whatever what are they what do they call late night with David Letterman right late, late night, night with Stephen Colbert right right so I, I look forward to that with his different character um, and then of course we have in a day or two the Doctor Who Christmas special called just Christmas. I don't know. I forgot what the title was, but it's been Nick Frost as Santa Claus. Uh, Looking forward to that. The rumors I hear is that Nick is that Santa Claus has been stealing Time Lord technology to make his to rounds. make his rounds. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if that's true, but that's a great that's, that's a great idea. Pretty perfect. Yeah. yeah, and we still don't know if uh, if if uh, Clara Oswald is coming back. Um, is, I thought they had set it up so that she wasn't going to be in the Christmas the way the the last I know, the regular but, series. But ended. I liked the way that was of saying, "Yeah, that's not the ending we want." You know, so let's let's give it. No, she's she's there, but um, you know, I I gotta agree. I I like going back to that day when you did. You watch those Doctor Who specials that the BBC uh, BBC yeah. America ran, yeah, and how David Tennant talked about. I think the the death of Ad, Adric, and he said, like, mm-hmm. of course we had no internet. And we had no idea this was going to happen. Right. And it was shocking. Something like, you know, I would love to believe that in entertainment, we're going to have a backlash and that's what's going to happen. People are going to stop spoiling because there is something oh, to yeah. that surprise, to like not knowing. So I love that I don't know. I, I would love that she lasts around in the way that Martha Jones kind of did. Not every episode, but it's going to keep circling Comes back, back around yeah. to her for a while. Um, because... I don't need a total farewell to her. She's interesting. Yeah. But, you know, I, I She like, was an important character. I like not knowing what's going to happen to her. Because, it, honestly, the, the loss of the pawns to the show mm-hmm. killed me. I, or, sorry, didn't. It was the opposite. That because we knew it was going to happen, it was a build-up. Oh, we've given them a good send-off. I'm like, by the time it ended, I was like, really? That was, that that was, was all good. it was? Yeah. But when Amy came back in, yes. in Matt Smith's final episode... That was what killed me. That's where, and I turned, and I, I was watching like for the fourth time, and my daughter was watching it for the first time, and I turned, and we both look, and it's kind of a, all right, we won't look at each other now, because we're both going, <laughs> you know? yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I don't know about my son, but my daughter, and she's so mad about that. She's like, it's another thing I got from you, Dad. I feel these things so hard. (laughs) Emotions. (laughs) Emotions. Um, Yeah, she's 15. Yeah, so uh, anyway. And I do want to, there's a, but we were, um, I I had a good segue. We we moved away from it, but that's all right. uh, In that radio this week, Good Omens. Another British Neil Gaiman and Terry Terry Pratchett's classic novel that here's the Terry Gilliam connection. Terry Gilliam's been trying to make it into a movie for like 15 years. Every time he has it set up, like the one time he had, uh, uh, apparently Johnny Depp was going to play the the demon. And it was before Pirates of the Caribbean and he was told nobody's going to go see a big Uh budget movie with Johnny Depp in it. And then Pirates of the Caribbean comes out and boom. You know, and and then I get mad. I'm like, why didn't Johnny Depp come back and insist that that Good Omens get right. made? But anyway, so the BBC realized. Uh, well, actually, Neil Gaiman realized there's a there's a dark side to this is or a sad side to this is they did a, a radio drama which is fantastically cast. So the devil is Peter Se- uh, or the de- the demon is Peter Serafinowitz, who is the the guy the Nova Corps guy who's like what a bunch of a holes mm-hmm. in the Guardians of the Galaxy. Right, right. Great, Curly hair. great. British comedian, extremely talented, who just really hasn't broken through here yet. But I interviewed him a few years ago for um, uh, there's a there's a mock a BBC series that mocks like educational films of the seventies. Uh, I gotta look up the title again. Sorry, somebody's screaming it at me right now, listening to this podcast. That's really funny because it's again so dry, and you're not sure what's going on. But anyway, and the guy playing um, the angel is Mark Heap, who was in Spaced, who was the artist, the tortured artist in the Spaced oh, okay. TV series. So two perfect casts, you know. But we're not going to get to see them visually, but they, but they've done illustrations uh, that are uh, so that are like comic book panels, so that you can go onto the BBC website and see. And their audio player does not have the England only restriction, oh. so you can go to the BBC iPlayer. And at least for a week, <coughs> we can hear Good Omens, the the radio drama. Starting now? Starting now. Oh. First two chapters are online already. So, you know, because kids in England, I know this is going to be crazy, but radio is still a thriving art form in, in radio dramatizations and comedy groups. In fact, a lot of the sketch shows that people love uh, from BBC actually start out as radio shows they do them as audio sketches first or or they put the team together and say what can you do for a six episode radio thing so like one of my favorite bbc sketch shows back on hulu plus right now is that michelin web look and it's like five seasons fantastic totally out there bizarre things that for doctor who fans they were the robots and dinosaurs on on a spaceship. Right, right, right. They, they voiced Mitchell and Webb came in and did a little bit of other <laughs> stuff, but they were they have like three seasons of an audio of radio because that's what they, they the BBC like says. Oh well, these comedians look and you know so they've got these comedy shows that start out as radio. So radio drama is a big deal. But why they ended up having to settle on radio is because they could they could sign off on it while Terry Pratchett would still be aware. Yeah, he has. Uh, Alzheimer's and apparently and I didn't realize this <laughs> like just when you think Alzheimer's doesn't suck enough he has this rare kind where his brain is actually still going to function and it's the last thing to go yeah his mind so uh it's the body that's shutting down around him 
and and he did apparently a, uh, a special three years ago. And actually, I think it was in England when when they broadcast it. He did a special on um, assisted suicide, and the uh, to talk about trying. He was trying to stump while he was still active enough to say that has been his wish is when the time comes he doesn't want anybody getting in the way of right. can he please. But he's still doing Discworld novels. And I was wondering that. I was like, you know, we've been talking about him being sick, so I didn't realize. Yeah, I'm the, surprised how many I've seen since I heard. Because he, he can was, still dictate them. Yeah. So he's been dictating them, and you know, I mean, there you go. There, there's a, a brilliant, keen mind. And if you haven't read Good Omens, that's another one. I don't know who you are. We all have, you know, it's because it, it, it Neil Gaiman talked about it being like it was this little cult novel, and I'm like, really? Was it? Because I totally bought it, and like every class, every year that I was teaching. Uh, a new group of students would come in and they'd have good, you know, a student would have good omens. Oh, that's a great book. Like, You've read that? You know, actually, Dan Votto, this is a little shout out to you. I drove through McDonald's to get coffee today. And I was wearing this this sweatshirt, which is a haunted mansion. It's the Hatbox Ghost. And <coughs> the the woman at the drive-thru said, oh, oh, for a second I thought that was Johnny the Homicidal Maniac. Wow. And I went. Well, and Dan always says that it's like it's teen girls that discover Johnny, and it was like his girl was like sixteen or seventeen at the drive-through, and I said, "Well, you know, it's not; it's haunted mansion." But I do know who Johnny the Homicidal Maniac is. Like, really? Like you know, nobody my age would know. I know the publisher. <laughs> I I I know. I'm horrible. I said that. I said, "Yeah, the publisher's local. You should go to his store." Like I tried. Hey, I'm McDonald's. Luckily, nobody's behind me as I'm like going. No, I'm going to get this girl to yeah, go to sure. <laughs> to go to Batiki. But uh, you know, if you like Johnny, you should go there and pick up other stuff. That, that's right. That Dan Votto publishes. So you know, it was cool. But anyway, so I'm going to try to pick up that, uh, listen to that Good Omens, and I just think that's a it's a highlight because it's a great story. It's a great novel, and um, and apparently there's also BBC just did a, a Neverwhere adaptation for radio as well that was much better than their TV adaptation mm. from the 90s, which, by the way, still has Peter Capaldi as the angel Islington. Islington. Islington? Islington. Islington. I wasn't sure how to pronounce that one. They're so named I'll, after, I I'll think take he, it. Train think stations. Train stations. No, I know yeah. they are, but, yeah. I didn't know, but I've never heard anyone say, except for in that TV adaptation, which I'd watched too long ago, you know, and it's, hey, come on, it's England. It, it could actually be pronounced Sinjin Smith, <laughs> and it just looks I-S-L-I-N-G. He's super shiny in that that thing they've got that he is they have that fabric that they shine light on and it's so and that's still worth it bbc has that one available on dvd too but, yeah uh but, I, it's uh, you know people don't like it that much i i thought it was fine it was fine it's, but it, but it was a budget cut the beast is horrible. oh yeah the beast the the, the ending but is, it's got some great performances in it and yeah. uh great actors oh man the marquis de carabas carabas uh what's his name the guy who was almost doctor he was almost a doctor here yeah and uh, he's on he's on that match mitchell and webb look and he was just on the uh the le- uh, not left behind and the, the leftovers the house of doors what's the, the yes yeah, yeah so many great so many great concepts and yeah, so many great characters well, of course you know why because it's neil, neil gaiman. gaiman yeah and i can't tell you how many people still try to say me oh, neil gaiman and i go don't be ashamed he's okay with it being gaiman it's not gay man it's gaiman and even if it was gay man it wouldn't matter because it's just a name it's not a label and if it was, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Stop digging me into a hole that okay. I'm, I'm filling in with dirt. Should we go to games? Would you please go to games? So uh, this week, uh, it was announced that... I miss Nate. Okay, go ahead. Dominion, which is the first of the um, deck-building card games. You want a shock? 
What's that? You've played it. I've played it. Yes, I I, I knew that. And I've I've won. Excellent. <laughs> so Excellent. it can't be very good if I figure no, it's, it out. It's, and a, it's a it's a it's a very it's a very a good game is approachable. It's easy to understand. People can get into it and play it and okay, enjoy it. But I'm saying I beat the group three times. In okay. A row. <laughs> so it so can't got, be that good. You got lucky. Um, it's been it's been something. I waste all my luck on something like that. For the last couple of years, we've been hearing that there's going to be an iPad version. In the meantime, every other game derivative of Dominion in the deck building <laughs> has come out on the iPad. So you've had you've had um, Ascension, which is actually a really good game, is available on the I- iPad, and you know uh, other ones that are there's uh, a bunch of Japanese ones and. Of course, there's Magic the Gathering. Every year, there's a new version of that. <laughs> of that game comes out on the iPad, but now they're saying I can't win in that one. Definitely, uh, early 2015, we'll get Dominion on the iPad, and that's that's good news because Dominion is still um, it's a solid solid game, and it's super easy to pick up and understand and play and enjoy, and they'll be able to play. Undoubtedly, they'll have you'll be able to play against the AI, the AI which yeah. is important. It's one of those things about. Playing games on the iPad is a great way to learn board games. If you're embarrassed about not playing it right the first time, you yeah. play it on a on you play it socially with other people, and you can build up your strategy without being embarrassed about how long it takes you to do it. So, highly recommend uh, checking that out when it comes in. Um, at the same time, Ascension, which was like the first one to come out after Dominion doing the deck building, and it had more. Dominion didn't have that much direct attack stuff in it, and Ascension had more of a "I'm fighting you" instead of trying to build up points. Right, right. Dominion uh, felt very Dominion. Uh, Dominion does have some stuff, but it's rarer that you do stuff that directly inhibits other people. It's more economic and yeah. trade. It's, it's yeah. more like you're, the, you're building up your city. You're, it's like you're, the U.S. government. Yeah. Um, but Ascension um, has been on the iPad and is is uh, just now. It's currently available on Steam. Um, and and Steam. The, uh, the guys that did Ascension, they're the ones that are doing that. Aren't they the same company that's, that's doing the Marvel and DC yes. building games? Yeah, those are all those are all basically. From, you know, if you learn to play one, you're that much easier to go right, on and right. play. And we need to sit down and play Legendary because there's some great legend. There's the Marvel. The Marvel Legendary, and then there's an amazingly good um, Aliens Legendary deck building game, where you, it's a cooperative uh, game against the aliens. So, so it would have to be. Who's going to betray? Huh. Who's going to be an alien? Who could? So, uh, good good news for gamers. Good news for iPad owners. Merry Christmas. I want to point out. I'm just going to go to my podcast list to recommend a pod another podcast. That uh, if you have not heard, listen to this. I'm afraid I'm going to totally get you hooked on another one. Serial? No, oh. no. Although, did you watch Saturday Night Live's Serial? I haven't watched Serial. I haven't listened to. Serial. No, I haven't listened to Serial either. But their parody yeah. was so funny. It's like you didn't even need to. It was okay, a, you know, the mystery of of is is Chris Kringle real? And uh, it was. And then I was watching, reading comments. Other people were going like, "Oh my god, it's so dead on." And it was like, yeah. It was well done. It's 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 sad that like Saturday Night Live's best stuff right now is like the film stuff mm-hmm. that's not live at all. But they did because they've done some really oh yeah funny things recently. But no, um, the guys that do um, a podcast called Super Ego, which is kind of improvised, which yeah. across Paul from Tompkins adventure. and right, 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 uh, Matt Gourley, who yeah. I, who um, I have not met yet, but apparently in Los Angeles we do sort of 
we have circles in a Venn diagram that occasionally catch. They I, do improv, right? They improvise plots, and they did a cross so a few crossovers with Thrilling Adventure Hour. And uh, so Matt Gorley's doing his own pot, uh, doing a, a, another podcast. Uh, apparently, he does many. Uh, and this one was called "I Was There Too." Mm. Have you heard of this podcast? No, I haven't. So <clears throat> this was uh, I was turned on to this podcast by Chris Tallman, who is. Uh, Thunderman on the Thundermans, uh, a friend of mine from Improv Days long ago, not that long ago, Chris. If you don't want to reveal your age, uh, you know. But uh, but Chris recommended it, and I had to put on on Facebook. I was like, "Damn you and your impeccable taste!" I don't have time for another podcast, but all right, I'll check. Luckily, this one only comes out every two weeks. But the idea of I was there too, and it, uh, the first guest is Paul F. Tompkins. <laughs> what a coincidence! What a surprise! Is that it's the story of. Uh, or it's finding out about iconic movie scenes or iconic in iconic movies um, from the perspective of somebody who was there, but is probably not who you remember in that scene. Okay. Paul F. Tompkins has like two lines in "There Will Be Blood." Oh, so, he talks, so it's actual. So he, it's real. It, yeah, this yeah. One, it's not like his where the the dead authors podcast. So Matt Gourley. And, oh, I heard him talking about and this. Paul F. Tompkins talk about being on the set with Daniel Day Lewis and what it was like. How do you get cast in this film? That people I heard are like Tompkins talking intense. about this. So the second one is actually fr- uh, from one of the guys who is uh, was in Aliens. So let's talk about making Aliens. He's the marine, the first space, uh, colonial marine. Who gets burned? He's frost, and uh, so the third episode, which I haven't listened to yet, is uh, I'm going to see who's actually. I don't want to actually start it. Oh, Greg Proops joins him for the Phantom Menace because he's the he's the sportscaster in the pod race. Wow. What was it like to be so? You know, some of it is, and then and then there's one of the Untouchables with Melody Ray. Who was the woman in the baby care with the baby carriage in the Untouchables that went down the stairs? So it's like, so some of them are comedians, some of them are just serious people that aren't even in the business anymore, talking about being in scenes that are iconic. So you can pitch the fact that you were the reporter in Sparks. Not yet, but God bless you. Um, I also need to point out that you know we'd mentioned a while ago. Um, and, it, and apparently it, 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 it's been, it was a small miniseries. That Imaginary Worlds I talked about a while ago that I guessed it on, talking about Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I listened to it. It's really good. There's like four episodes. It's kind of about just exploring different ways of, different areas of what it means to be a fan. And so it wasn't all Star Trek centric. It was his episode that I talked about Star Trek on was about canons, about people who are mm-hmm. obsessed with, I mean, I think he initially talked to me as Star Trek, but realized when I was talking about that weird it still irks me when Kirk in Star Trek Five says, "I had a brother once, and he means Spock, and doesn't even pay attention to the fact he had his own George brother, Kirk. That, George Kirk." And so, you know, I think uh, so. I think he realized he had a lot of he was interviewing people about other topics, and that kind of kept coming back. That people are like, "Oh, it's got to be you know this continuity," and you know. So anyway, it, it was an interesting. Um, I, I, I don't know how many episodes he ended up doing. I, I think I, I, I listened to four. And, that, and 
iTunes is telling me there are no more, so maybe he just did four and then to see how they did out there. But Imaginary Worlds is an interesting one. So I <clears throat> just wanted to bring that out, you know, and say, but I knew you would like I Was There Too. And then the great thing is that at the end of each episode, he does I Wasn't There Too. And it's about somebody who was almost in the movie and then got replaced for some reason or another. And like like little Hollywood rumors about like in There Will Be Blood, Paul Dano plays the twins. The, uh, and originally the brothers were not twins it was a different actor cast as the more memorable part the the, the minister and uh, the evangelical preacher and uh, then that guy had to drop out and then they and then Paul uh, Thomas Anderson rewrote the, the part to be identical twins so that Paul Dano could play both and so it's like you know it's that guy who didn't and then um, aliens there's uh, James Remar was supposed to be Hicks and then had a falling out of some kind three hmm. weeks in. So there's a little talk about that, even though the actor who, who played Frost was like, uh, I, I can't talk about it. I want my career to live. That's, that's the beauty of podcasts, that they can you can come up with these little kind of niche things that you couldn't necessarily sell a TV show on doing, but you can, and, but they're definitely going to find an oh, audience. Interesting little thing. So I just want to throw that out there. And, of course, if you're listening to us on iTunes, you can subscribe. You I can, like to think we're an interesting little thing. I do like to think that. So – Spread the word about us. Uh, subscribe. Uh, you know, you tell your friends. You can rate us, please, and you know, write a review because that, that does get iTunes attention. Then we're there. You can do the same thing on the Stitcher app. You can find us at www. How many W's did I say? Uh, you did the right number. How much hot buttered rum did you have there? Uh, hey, www. what's in this drink? Dot fanboyplanet.com. <laughs> Baby, it's cold. What? Uh, fanboyplanet.com. And where, of course, you can also, anything we talked about, if you cannot find at your local mom and pop, your brick and mortar store, uh, you can find on the Amazon link. But we do encourage you, especially if it's a comics related stuff, go to your local comic book store. Keep them alive. And, uh, but you can go to Amazon. You can follow the link uh, from fanboyplanet.com. We do get a very small uh, remuneration from Amazon, a sort of a thank you very much. Here's a penny. <laughs> and uh, more coal, Mr. Amazon. <laughs> yes. And be here all the earlier the next day. And uh, then, of course, you can also if you feel a little gift to us, a little PayPal donation uh, to help pay for our hosting uh, would be lo- lovely. And, you know, the badly, let's be honest, the badly need redesign on the site. So help us out. Uh, if you've got questions, compliments, comments, criticism, if you were screaming the name of something that I was forgetting, <laughs> uh, write into editor at fanboyplanet.com. Uh, we miss Nate, uh, but of course, again, the thing is, he his baby is just over a month old now, and sometimes, you know, fatherhood calls. Uh, but uh, I'm Derek McCaw, editor in chief of FanboyPlanet.com, and I'm Rick Brett Snyder, reminding you to use, use your powers, powers only for good. good. Merry Christmas. Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com. The power of brains compels you. Okay, I think we got this down. <laughs> <laughs>
television. Um, so let's play uh, our little segment, What's in the Bag? You want me to do it? Yes. <laughs> Smooth. Fatherhood has changed you. Anyway, go ahead. I'm trying to think of a Christmas version of What's in the Bag. What's in Santa's bag? Well, should What's I do it bag? as What's Santa since What's I did bag the ho, today? ho, ho? Whatever you want, man. I got it. I don't want to bite your style. Okay, I'm ready. All right, say say we're playing What's in the Bag. We're... And now we're playing What's in the Bag. What's in my sack? Santa's sack! Ho, ho, ho! Can we keep that one? I kind of like that. I, like I don't the, know how well it's going to play around April. I, well, that'll be the rabbits. What's in my butt? Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, basket. Uh, yeah, this is actually a, re- a retro. What's in the bag? Because we. Yeah. Okay. This. <laughs> This friend of Michelle's in L.A. For those wondering, this is Christmas in California. Sunday, 60 degrees and cloudy. Damn it, it's cold. Turn on the heater. Monday, 70 degrees and sunny. Damn, it's warm. I should have worn shorts. Tuesday, 85 degrees and sunny. (laughs) Damn it, it's hot. Someone crank the A.C. And it's true. It scares me that it's, you know, and my friends say, no, it's always, it's always warm in December. And I'm like, mm, not this warm. It's like 85, it's been 80, 85 degrees. Have we got a story on why we're going to get a non-mutant? Mutant Quicksilver. I'm aside, aside from the business reason, from a story. Of, it's the it's the business reason. Well, I mean, but in the story, in Axis, the explanation is that um, Scarlet Witch. That's going to be unveiled. Scarlet they've kind of been. I'm not quite caught up with it, but it's kind of been. Scarlet Witch cast a spell, asking for all truths to be revealed. Hmm. And or some phrasing like that, where. Then she confronted Magneto and said, you poor deluded fool, you've thought this yeah. all along. And so the theory right now is, is Scarlet Witch so powerful with her with her reality altering powers yeah. that she actually changed their own timeline and was powerful enough, which actually does make sense because if the Beyonder has been retconned as an inhuman then it's not without precedent that there are that if she's made herself an inhuman, that reality is that. Well, weak. she's she's manipulated reality before. Before, right? Right. And it's I'm not sh- just not just the no more mutants, but the whole mutant um, uh, M, uh, the uh, House of M. House of M. Well, that wasn't that what no more mutants was. That was the first part of the. That was the immediate ramification of no more mutants, and then, then she whispered it at the end and. Yeah. That was when things yeah. went away. So that's, you know, but but ultimately, we do know, it is the business reason. There is no question there is the business reason. And it was yeah. brought up this week. Oh, when somebody asked why CM Punk could write Mar- a Marvel story and why, have you read this, that George, they approached George R.R. R. Martin to see if he wanted to write a story for Marvel. And his, it wouldn't get as far as contract. His response was, 
I would love to write a story for Marvel. My conditions are that my story can never be retconned. Mm. It must always be part of continuity. You can't change anything that I do. And, you know, basically... So if I kill somebody, they can't come back. Right. Yeah. And Marvel said, you fool. He is the personification of the Grim Reaper. (laughs) His response, though, is right. He's like, read Shakespeare. Yeah. Please. It's sort of like... (laughs) Was the best part reminding me of that play, Peter Pan, when... I I don't know if you watched the live broadcast. I didn't. It's not as horrible as people I've, say. I've got it recorded. It wasn't. Again, right, I, but there's a line from the play that I, I keep forgetting was, you know, the, when the, she meets the Lost Boys and they go like, tell us the ending of Cinderella. And she met the handsome prince, you know, she found the prince and found her shoe fit and she went off to the kingdom and they lived happily ever after and explained Snow White, blah, 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 you know, I, I can't remember what the other one is. And then and the one kid in the back goes, explain the ending of Hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> and then so she goes, well then... King Queen died, and Ophelia died, and Laertes died, and the king died, and then Hamlet killed himself. Uh, Hamlet dies, but the rest that were still alive lived happily ever after. <laughs> yeah, don't aspire towards being a king or royal family. Yeah, Euripides wrote that in Medea. Uh, I can't remember the way it's actually phrased, but it, it really struck me as, again, you know, being at the last show I did another day, when we were talking, trying to tell the kids about the connections, like, we still don't under, we're still struggling with all these basic questions of humanity, and this, one of the servants says that. You aim too high, you're never happy. Being right in the middle. Yeah. And just living for day to day, and to take care of the people around you, that's the thing. Like, yeah, they figured that out 2,500 years ago. Nobody listened. Nobody's ever listened. Is he responding at all? No, I'm going to go with we've got the Mary Jane theory is the problem. I He put it on the... I put it on Messenger. I've texted him. But if there's something going on with Mary Jane, there's not a lot he can do at the moment, you know. Or Coco. Exactly. Ouch. Sorry about that. That that was me unlocking the iPhone iPad. Well, I've got the volume way up in the. Uh, Let's see. Yeah. Control calling him. Did you? Uh, I meant to forward this to you. I couldn't do it, but I thought um, that you know Google Play is, today has um, Lana Del Rey's "Big Eyes" theme song free. Oh, I got the Michael Bublé um, album for free today from Google Play. See iTunes. That's what people want. Free music, not you too. Which I still have. I. Yeah, I listen to the whole album. Let's see if I can get through here. Oh, 
Are you there? Are you actually there? Hello. Hello. Oh, hello. Have you been waiting for us? Uh, yes. Oh, well, you said, are we ready for go? Yes, I texted back a while ago. I messaged you on Facebook. Oh, we look just... at that. You did text me back. <laughs> okay, good. I'm not crazy. It's been We're... that kind of day. The We're... problem was I never closed the text. Therefore, I never got another... Uh, notification notification uh, that a new text had come through and I, I was throwing clothes in the laundry so I couldn't hear a uh, boop on my computer that I had another Facebook yeah. message alright All right, we'll go fast no harm no foul I'll speak it <laughs> twice as fast so it's a Christmas uh, uh, getting particles all over me oh. no no it's just glitter like off the paper we just had a little little fairy dust in the uh, Brett cave I like that you don't question that are we, <laughs> are we gonna do what will be in our bag uh, I can do what's in the bag from last week so are I, you at your bag from last week <laughs> well I just have two that are worth talking about I think we you know, want to cut down I accidentally bought this because of the Darwin Cook covers even though I oh, had yeah, taken yeah. it off my list and they still they still pulled it for me and um, thank you. I talk to that. I just have a Wonder Woman. I, I did I, you read that one? Yeah. Okay. I, I'm too behind on. Oh that one. no! I really want to. And, and you could read this w- without being okay. That's the other interesting thing about me. I don't think that there's any particular continuity or fitting yeah. in. But uh, yeah. So yeah, exactly. Thank you. It's like the high heyday of going to the big guys comics where Tony Viador would still sneak X Men in after I said no. I want no more X books. Yes, you do. It'd be in the middle of the pile. Hoping I wouldn't notice. Okay, Nate, let's hear you. Testing, testing. Current situation, wrapping Christmas presents, listening to iHeartRadio, and reminiscing. Mm, nice. Cool. Good nap. A very nice card from the fine folks at DC Entertainment. Happy holidays to you all. Much love. Yeah, really? You got a card from DC Entertainment? No, I'm just reading people's status updates off of Facebook. Ah, I see. <laughs> I got one from Dark Horse. It was Sweet. A, it was a Gru. Yeah. Awesome. So let's hear you, Derek. All right. Yes, I'll say it again. I, I got one from Dark Horse. Um, yeah, and that was nice. That's and, good. Uh, that's you sounded good. That's about all I got. And I think I just... What did I do to myself? Hello? Hello? It's always hard. Let's see. Hello? Hello. I guess it sounded okay. Echo, echo, echo. Testing. This is only a test. Okay. So are you going to do a uh, uh, Christmas introduction, Nate? I ideas? sure am. Okay. You, you, he's he's ready. He's going to shake his jingle bells. Oh, my. <clears throat> Let's see. Go ahead. Are you ready? I'm ready when you guys point. Okay. i got to get my hand free to point. Hang on. In three, two, one. Ho, 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 fanboys! It's the Fanboy Planet Christmas cast, and here's your host, Santa Claus! Santa. I have indeed... uh...